4: I'm your host, Stella, and this is Back Girl, the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 103, the SDCC 2015 wrap-up episode for July MMXD. Back Girl, the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are October's Backroll number 45 and Gotham Academy number 11, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Batgirl the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TVU family. Well, as I said in the intro, this is going to be a SDCC wrap-up episode. So basically, it's going to be me yammering on about the things that I did throughout my five days there, four and a half, depending on how you look at it, and complete with some interviews, some recommendations as well. So this actually should be a shorter episode, but perhaps I should knock on wood now because who really knows? But if you're expecting Shipper Spotlight, Babs in the Tube, reviews, this is not the episode for you. So you can skip ahead to August and episode 104 to actually get what you're looking for. So you know coming into san diego comic con i i was in a different sort of state of mind actually there were so many problems that i as well as donovan and josh had this year and i feel like the these problems were not caused by us because you know if it's my fault i will be willing to admit that i did something wrong but in this case it really was not our fault so first of all about every other year if you're press you have to send in materials to prove that you are in fact working for the website that you say you are working for and so this was in fact one of those years so I had to write a couple articles because podcasting even though I do that on a regular basis not only backroll or to Oracle but uh, for TBU as well that doesn't really count as you know press association So, I had to write a couple articles. That really wasn't that bad. So, you send in your registration, which I think was due either November or December, and you expect to hear back. Usually, it was the beginning of April or so. So, you know, we're getting on into the spring. March goes past, April goes past. Now we're in like late May. And constantly, uh, my friends and I are assaulting, barraging Dustin with these texts every week or so about, have you heard back, have we been confirmed as press for San Diego Comic Con? there's a lot riding on this of course you don't wanna get a hotel because you're not gonna get that refund back you don't wanna get your airplane tickets either if you are not going as press because frankly uh, I'm not going to I I think show that amount of money it's a huge rat race to get into San Diego if you're not press I honestly you know props to the people that are that are able to do that because I could not and uh so basically everything's hinging on this meanwhile the hotel situation is always a trial Everything, all the hotels that you can get into are locked down until a very specific date when they open, and then everyone floods in and basically makes, I think, three requests. And you have to do this within 30 seconds. The first year I did it, I think it took me a little longer, is the first time I was filling out the form. But people have it down to a science. Sometimes the system is nice to you and it will go in order of when the people finish their actual form. Sometimes it's not, and people who finish their form within three minutes. We'll get a better hotel than those that finish within 30 seconds. So it's really up to the San Diego Comic-Con gods because you have no idea. This particular year, I was actually uh, sitting at my desk at my workplace, at school, and I was thinking to myself, huh, you know, it's around that time that we would probably want to put in our choices for the hotels and so I go on I, you know I search San Diego comic-con hotels and lo and behold it was that exact day that you are supposed to fill out your choices and in fact I was doing it at about 12 and it opened or, or it closed at I think 11 or some it was some absurd time that it was basically very short very shortly after that i was checking up on it so round 1 of the hotels was done and well that certainly put put us in a panic and and the funny thing is that you know san diego did not email out all of the people that should have been emailed so you know there's that problem uh, the second round of the hotels did not go as well either because this specific day specific time I'm there on the computer I'm waiting it never opened up for me I was sat there refreshing f5 refreshing the page every few I shouldn't say few seconds I mean it was basically like every minute or so for an hour and that never happened so basically hotels it was not working out late May finally get the press press registration confirmed so that that was good hotel still up in the air, not sure where I'm going to be staying. And uh, so I, I take a chance on faith that I'm going to get a hotel and I end up getting the plane ticket. So of course, you know, and, and my father is one of those that, that tells me all the time, you got to get your plane ticket early because it just gets worse and worse the closer you get. And I certainly normally like to try to get it early, but you don't want to go or you don't want to buy that ticket if you're not getting a press pass. So I, you know I pay pay a lot more than I would want to for my airline ticket so I have that down hotel is the last thing I think the hotel I think it finally got settled I finally found one in June or so it was getting a little tight it was getting a little tight meanwhile you know all these feelings so this is I think I started this this ramble off with the fact that I was in a different state of mind for this San Diego and it really started with that press because you expect it I mean it's not like my my articles that I do for for TBU are astounding you know I did a couple convergence articles I did an article on DCU gift guide and you know did a couple of reviews you know they're they're not wow but you know you sort of expect that you've been there in the past you've, you've done your due diligence so of course I'm gonna be accepted and when that doesn't happen you almost get to the point of you know how am I gonna feel if I don't go to San Diego Comic-Con will I be okay and then you start to resign yourself as time goes on that I may not be going to San Diego Comic-Con and you know it, it'll be okay if it doesn't happen so basically by the time that I actually got the press and everything else was sorted out. I was still in this sort of funk of, I'm not going to San Diego Comic-Con, even though everything to the contrary And so I'm at this weird place, and certainly, like, the excitement was not really there for me. It was very strange. And as I got closer and closer to San Diego Comic-Con, I was actually somewhat concerned because, you know, people were asking me, are you excited? And honestly, I was saying, you know what? There's something going on with me. I'm actually not as excited. I don't know what it is. And, uh, you know, people were, (laughs) they offered their, their different ideas in the end, I you know, spoiler alert. I did have a fantastic time. I of course do not regret or regret going at all. Uh, I I loved it there as always. It was it was wonderful to spend time with with Don and Josh. But it was just some weird funk I think, which just the situation created. So getting closer and closer. About the first week of July, or maybe slightly prior to that, Dustin sent out his his requests for interviews and I decided because I get stressed out San Diego I really take this I mean I have fun and everything and and I go to panels that I want to go to but I really do take this seriously almost treat it as my job because I love doing the interviews I want to be professional and really live up to you know the Batgirl oracle and the Batman universe name and and you know do what what I owe to Dustin for for taking me on and and be like a legitimate press source. So normally, the night before the interview at San Diego Comic-Con, I'm, I'm scrambling to these questions. Of course, I'll post on Facebook, you know, see if any fans are, of TBU or Backworld or Oracle have any questions and things like that. This year, I decided I'm not having that. I'm not going to stress out unnecessarily for this. So after Dustin sent out his his requests, I emailed him and I said, hey, what were the writers, creators that you to have an interview with. So he sent me that list and I decided that there were about eight things that I needed to do research for and prepare for. So the week prior to San Diego I decided that two of these each day I was gonna sit down, do whatever I needed to do to come up with good questions. And in fact I did this, I did this for the comics, I reread comics, read comic runs, read comics that I, I did not necessarily read normally. I watched films or shorts to prepare for those and and just research and and came up with questions. And so coming into San Diego, I thought, you know, I did my due diligence. I'm ready to go. The only thing maybe I'll tweak it if any news comes out or anything like that. So, so basically I'm prepared to go. And I think this all started with what was this SDCC about or what was it going to be like when I went into it and DC normally drops a lot of news prior to SDCC and you sort of sit in these panels and they're just restating what they had said in news that was dropped prior to the actual convention this year they decided they weren't going to do that and I thought finally we're getting back to I think the spirit of maybe what this convention should be where You sit there as a fan in these panels and and experience them and they tell you news that you've not heard before and it gets you excited rather than just, you know, something that you've heard multiple times before. So I was excited about that and for the most part I would say that they stayed true to that. You know, news came out earlier to specific people, not necessarily to the general public. So there were surprises, but in panels, you know, they, they weren't as... I think uh, surprising or newsworthy as they had said they were going to be so you know it was I guess it was a 50-50 so maybe next year they will push even further with that and, and start releasing more maybe it was just this sort of first year thing that they're trying to get used to what they want
0: the rain, rain, rain came down, down, down in rushing, rising rivulets. Till the river crept out of its bed and crept right into Piglet's Poor Piglet, he was frightened with quite a rightful fright And so in desperation, a message he did write Help!
5: Piglet! Me! He placed it in a bottle and it blew it out up... And the rain, rain, rain came down,
4: down, down, So started failing So anyways, Wednesday rolls around Have a nice little early flight And uh, arrive, of course, meet my compatriots Don and Josh there And we go to the Hard Rock for lunch That's always uh, the thing that we do And we end up walking around a little bit And then go to the convention And I think we learned our lesson Normally we go to the convention and get our Passes first, then get lunch, then go back because preview night opens, I believe, at 6. This time we didn't do that, so we came back. It was around that time that the convention was open for the preview night, and the line for the passes were so long that normally it goes back to maybe like Hall C, B, something like that. You know, if you've been there, it, it, it goes like the end of the convention center's Hall H. And the beginning of it goes to a and so that's you know it's a long line but i think it starts usually from e or so so e to c it's not too bad e to b maybe a little worse so this went beyond that to the hotel next door to the marriott in its garage that's where we started the line which was whoa it was moving okay i felt like i was in a theme park to be honest but we got our passes and then we went to the. the convention hall and and basically preview night is as it states there are sales which a lot of people go in and and you see like everyone with mattel and all this crazy stuff buying things before they have to wait in line and uh... go to the sales pavilion and all that crazy stuff so Purchases uh, you can check out everything before because some people don't get the the preview night passes So you are there before other people are and you can see different creators sometimes make your purchases if you want to So yeah, I just like to to walk around and and check out different things and Perhaps see things without the crowd because there's usually less people there and I also saw I saw Brendan Fletcher in the in the actual DC Comics booth And sort of one of those inappropriate, like, I'm looking at you for longer than I should. But I was trying to see if, because it's been a while since I've actually seen him, like, I think that is, in fact, Brendan Fletcher. And, uh, you know, he saw me looking at him, but he did not recognize me. So that's kind of okay, except uh, I saw that the whole Batgirl team was signing from 8 to 9. So I hung around there and I actually brought my... Backroll number 35 which was their first issue Gotham Academy won and Birds of Prey won and then I went around and then you know of course Brendan Fletcher was the first one to sign and I said it's me Stella from Backyard Oracle," and then you know he uh <laughs> he recognized me hopefully the the prior booth experience was lost on him and he didn't but uh Cameron and and Babs recognized me as well so I got to chat a little bit with them which was great and and hopefully you know I touched base and asked if they were willing to do a longer interview about their first arc which is something I really want to do and they said that they are willing So hopefully that that will happen soon coming up soon before it becomes irrelevant and yeah and then basically just uh, hung out with with Josh and Don and then went back to the hotel and that that was Wednesday and Wednesday is usually a lighter day so I, that was it. That was day one, depending on how you look at it. We're
5: going
6: to fly to school each
5: morning. We're going to smile the entire time. We're going to be more happy. We're going to finally be fine. We're
7: going to get more calm and normal. We're going to fix our state of mind.
4: So then Thursday is when the actual, like, the convention really starts. And it was weird because no work from Dustin on Thursday. Uh, Normally, it's spread out throughout the entire four days. Interview here, press event there. Not so for Thursday. So before you go to the convention if you ever do go, I would suggest you know looking through pre-planning your your convention schedule, just the panels that you want to go to, right? So there are really two different experiences of the convention. You have the first floor, the convention floor, and that's where you have all the booths, where you can buy items, where you can meet people, where you can have signings. That's your your first you know experience where you're really into the buying or, you know, the merchandise or getting your swag or or meeting creative teams the second level of it which literally is upstairs are all the rooms that have different panels and so for example I had on my first day DC Entertainment all access and so they would have different people there and I'm trying to remember I remember it was um, Scott Snyder and Heath Corson was there I can't remember who the, uh, if there were any others or who the moderator was, but they talked about sort of what is going on right now in DC Entertainment. So comics, TV, movies, that sort of thing. So there'll be a topic and there will be panel members that are have expertise some level of expertise on those topics and you're sitting there and watching rooms vary in size some rooms are more difficult to get into like 6bcf is somewhat it depends Uh, that's a pretty big room actually in the upstairs area it's medium difficulty to get into and you should arrive like a panel before or a half an hour before your panel actually starts 6de is smaller than 6bcf because it's one room smaller Uh, that's also medium difficulty and again and I would suggest a panel before. Then there are other bigger rooms that really showcase TV series uh, like Ballroom 20, Hall H. Hall H is more impossible <laughs> to get into than Ballroom 20. So, you know, it depends on if you want to waste your entire day trying to get in there. But I will get back to Hall H in a moment because I did have some experiences in there. But I did go to the DC Entertainment All Access. I went to DC Mysteries in Space, Are You Ready?, and that was basically about the, the Green Lantern things. And then they also had Batman Beyond, he's not really in space, but he is in time, which is different. So they talked about, you know, creatively what's what's coming up with them. And then I stayed around for the DC Comics Two T- Tough Trivia, Catwoman, Joker, and Robin's 75th Anniversary Edition, and I went to the Batman one. Last year, and it was really fun, last year what they did they had a panel of editors and they weren't only Batman editors but Superman and uh, other editors from DC Comics and there were two teams and so there was a question asked on Batman and you would choose which team you want to represent you and then they would be asked the question, they would give an answer and you could either agree or disagree with them. This was last year, mind you. It changed slightly this year. And if it was correct, Then you got a prize. If it was incorrect, you still got sort of a consolation prize, or you could correct if you knew the answer and get, you know, the real prize. This year, actually, they still had a panel of editors, but you could pick singularly which editor you want to represent you, and it was actually all hinging on them. So if they got it wrong, you didn't really get a prize, but it changed so that if they got it wrong, you could actually, if you knew it, you could answer it and get it correct. So I actually decided that last year it seemed fun. I didn't run up to the mic and get a question, but I knew several of them. So I I regretted it. So this year I thought I'm going to do it. So there were some Robin questions. I was going to go with Robin, definitely. And there were some that uh, I didn't know the answers to. But uh, the one I got and I asked, you know, for Mark Doyle to represent me since he's the Batman editor. I've spoken with him before. What university did dick race and go to and i thought huzzah i know this because of course because of background to oracle because of uh that one super weird storyline where the bikes come together and i knew it was hudson university uh mark Doyle got it and i got a prize and the moderator said that you know since it was slightly more difficult i got a wb exclusive that i had to go to the wb booth to pick it up i had no idea I don't know, but I was super excited about it. I was actually hopeful that it was the the Mattel exclusive Batgirl 60s action figure, but I knew in my heart that it wasn't because that's Mattel and this was WB. So I ended up leaving that and going to get that because I didn't know if there was going to be line and I didn't want to miss out on it because I could only get it that day. So I went to the WB booth and the guy there, he's like, this is good news. This is very good news. I thought, okay, uh, I assume you mean it's good news for me. So I got it, and it's a Lego minifigure, and it's of Red Arrow exclusive. And according to Dustin, who said that the previous one, that was the Batman R uh, was worth like four, 300 to $400. He thought that my Red Arrow was worth 250 to 300 I have no idea. I don't think I have any plans to sell it just because, you know, it's got memories attached, and... And everything, but that's interesting to note That those figures would go for for that amount of money And then the last panel that I went to Was Robotech The Next 60 Years And, uh, of course, you know about Robotech If you've been listening to this show and everything So I went to that with Donovan And and just seeing what plans they have Especially for the movie And they are, it seems like, you know, if you're a Robotech fan That they are really dedicated Obviously because these are the, the people that you know, have been with Robotech for a while, that they're dedicated to creating a movie that, that fits this series that, that the fans will really desire or that, that the fans will really, really appreciate. And right now they're just in the scripting process. You know, they have the, the director who is the director of Furious 7. So. Uh, I think you can expect good things and I think it's going to be a franchise because I really don't think you can do Robotech like the original, right, uh, in just one movie. There's just too much, too much to to go on. I wanted to actually ask a question about Min-Mei to see if her character would be modernized almost uh, because she's quirky and she does have her fun moments but she does some questionable things and there's a reason why you know I don't like her. So I just wonder if they're going to change her at all and and sort of update her I did not ask that I didn't want to get booed but you know things happen hopefully uh, for a reason and and hopefully uh, she will get a bit of a a facelift for that so that was basically Thursday the word wild applies to
5: the words you
4: On Friday, Friday actually had some some things I needed to do for Dustin. So the workday begins, but first I got to go to uh, Marvel Secret Wars because I'm reading that now. And uh, some of the times there are so many times, but only ones that uh, really I want to <laughs> follow along, like Carol Core or um, uh, Peter and Kitty. I don't think that's what it's called. Peter Quill and Kitty Pryde I can't remember what that one's called years of future past and Spider-Man 2099 those are some of the ones that I'm following but just want to see what what was up with that so they just talked about sort of the current state of it newer title tie-in titles that's going to come out and then some things that will spin out of Secret Wars but because we still have a lot to go they we weren't really talking too much about it what i found really interesting is that jonathan hickman the current writer of secret wars said that everything starts heating up in issue six keep in mind that it's an eight issue miniseries so i i question why it's going to take me six issues for it to heat up and i've got five issues of expedition exposition setting everything up but who knows you know these people are in charge of writing i am not I stayed a little bit for the DC Entertainment one-on-one with Jeff Johns but not too much really was revealed and it was basically like a, almost a, a biography session it was it was just Jeff Johns and Don, Dan Dio interviewing him and, and sort of starting from the very beginning how he got to comics and working his way forward so I ended up leaving that and I went over to Marvel all-new, all-different Avengers to see what's going on there. So lots of Avenger titles coming out, I'm going to tell you. And so this, the idea of Secret Wars is that the 616 universe, which is basically Marvel at its inception, that sort of universe, and there's the Ultimate Universe where you would have um, sort of updated ideas of characters and creators could sort of pave their own path with them. These universes are collapsing, so some characters may go away, some may come back. So these teams, of course, are somewhat mixed up, and and they're different because you may have Miles Morales, who's an Ultimate character, be on uh, an Avengers team with someone from the 616 universe. So that's sort of the idea. Uh, I really like Kamala Khan. He's the current Ms. Marvel, since Carol is, of course, Captain Marvel, and uh, she's going to be on a team. And then seeing uh, where Carol's going to be and, and everything, I don't, I don't read the Avengers, and I used to I used to read different in, in incarnations of it, and it really depends on what character roster there is and and who is on there that I want to see. I remember reading it during Invasion with the, with the scrolls and everything because I was doing tie-ins and, and all that jazz, but. For some reason, the Avengers, like these books, sort of stress me out. Uh, I I don't know what it is, but there just seems to be too much. You know, there are other teams or characters that I feel like you can get one and it encapsulates a whole group. But it seems like you need to get all of the Avengers in order to have a well-rounded story. And so that could be one of the reasons. But I may get Ultimate Avengers because of Carol being on there. And it seems like she may be in a significant role but i will uh i'll think about that who knows i then decided to try my luck with hall h and guess what it was for a game of thrones panel now let me just say that after my first year if you recall this i went into a i think it might have been ballroom 20 at the time because i think it was season two Or about to be season two of Game of Thrones I didn't know what Game of Thrones was didn't read it didn't watch it okay so but I went into a line because Covert Affairs was at Ballroom 20 and so I thought oh I watched this this could be fun about a half an hour until so I didn't realize how naive I was trying to get into this big place for Covert Affairs half an hour before the panel until I was behind or someone was talking about Game of Thrones and they had been waiting and it was like three hours until their panel. So I ended up leaving. So it's just gotten bigger and bigger. I think that was probably the last year was in Ballroom 20. Because I think ever since it's been in Hall H. And so never in my life did I really think that I would go to Hall H for Game of Thrones. Until last year, I don't think I would have thought I'd be in Hall H to uh, do anything of the fact. Because I was in that. I, I was in the DC TV special which was from 8 to 11 on saturday so you know that could have been it so my friend josh who just likes to open up new horizons discovered that in fact he can use his press pass to get into hall h down to the the press pit that is right next to the stage right next to it in fact you're you see the actors walk out on the stage and they're only about three feet from you And he was going in, he wanted to test it, Uh, he wanted to be in there for Star Wars, he thought, if I can get in then, you know, it's Star Wars, I I need to do this. So he got in, and I decided I'm gonna, and he said, I think you can get in for Game of Thrones, so I ended up going over there, and so I, I show, and I have to wait a little bit because there's a panel going on before that. So I thought, oh, this may actually happen. Staying around with some people. There's a producer there who's somewhat upset because she's a producer. And, uh, well, she's not being let in. She has to wait with the other people. Uh, Found out some things. Do you want me to say? If you've seen, if you've not seen the recent season of Game of Thrones, you may want to fast forward. But at the end of Game of Thrones... Jon Snow is stabbed repeatedly, a la Julius Caesar, by his people. He's made decisions that he feels like are right uh, and for the benefit of mankind, really. But his brothers don't believe this. They, they think that he's making terrible decisions, that he's a turncoat, uh, for reasons that, if I were to explain, you wouldn't understand. So let's just go with that. So people are depressed, they're sad that Jon Snow is dead writers are saying Jon Snow is dead. Kit Harrington is told Jon Snow is dead. So all of these things are coming to play. Now, if you've seen Wimbledon, you have seen Kit Harrington at Wimbledon. Why is this significant? Kit Harrington has long hair. Why is that significant? Kit Harrington says that he hates the long hair and when he is done with the show he is going to be shearing that hair off. So my question is, if he, why is he at Wimbledon with his long hair? I'm thinking he is not dead. And once I read the book I read the book before I saw the season, of course, where this happens. I thought to myself, there's no way that they're killing him off. The Red Witch is there. She's Something's going to happen. He'll be resurrected somehow. So, anyways, this, uh, this producer was saying that, here's the tip. Kit Harington's coming back, but not as Jon Snow of course that's vague what does that even mean but really uh the fan theory is and it seems pretty legit is that he's a targaryen so he's probably going to be coming back as some sort of targaryen again i feel like the red witch is going to have a handle on that but that's my only spore spores are done but that was exciting just to be in the line and and get that that sort of little uh that tidbit so we're moving in we're moving in i'm pushed off to the side at one point i have to wait because these people have priority seating then i get in i'm in for a game of thrones panel so i videotape you know the actors going in and i end up leaving a little early because i have interviews to go to next but you know it was just it was a great experience not a lot was you know told about this upcoming season because i think they there were like three days from beginning it but it was just great to be there and you know they recapped uh some of the so if that happened uh, prior, uh, of course, you had Brienne, and Sansa was there, and Marjorie, Arya, the Onion Knight, one of my favorite Davos, Gilly, and, oh, the Red Witch was in fact there, Melisandre, and Theon was there, and Sam Tarly, I don't think I missed anyone there. But yeah, it was, I mean... Even if nothing really was revealed about the upcoming season. Because now the, the books, they're, the show has caught up with the books. So anything is going to be new that comes out next season. Even if anything, nothing was revealed, it was just great to experience that. Never in my life did I think that I would actually be in a Game of Thrones panel. So I do appreciate that and I appreciate Josh for, for being sort of the, the conquistador that led us all to that brave new world. Uh, I Then, like I said, I left early because I had an interview with uh, Dan Jurgens and Corinne Howell. Dan Jurgens is the writer of Batmite and Batman Beyond, and Corinne Howell is the artist for Batmite, and I actually have that interview for you here. Hey, it's Stella with the Batman Universe, and I'm here with Dan Jurgens and Corinne Howell. They're both working on Batmite, and Dan is also on Batman Beyond. I'm going to start with Batman Beyond. Okay. So going a little further back than Batman Beyond 1, how did you ultimately come to the decision to put Tim Drake in the cowl?
8: I always look at Batman Beyond and uh, what we're doing with the book. as a, Think of it as a triangle. And in one corner, we have the classic Batman Beyond Animated Universe. In the next corner, we have the classic DC future timeline, the great disaster stuff. And the third corner is represented by Tim Drake, who stands in for DC's present. And if you take those three elements, the Batman Beyond Animated Future, the DC classic Great Disaster Future, and DC's present, and put it all together, that's how you get one cohesive future timeline which is what we're trying to do here by blending the best of all worlds.
4: Okay. Yeah. How is Tim going to stand out as a Batman, but also honor Terry?
8: A couple of ways. One of which is, Tim, I, I think it's important to recognize that Kim Drake is a great character in his own right. He was smart enough at, as like a 12-year-old to figure out that Bruce Wayne and Batman are one and the same. He's a really bright guy, but I think what makes him a little different, and why it's going to work as Batman Beyond is, I've always seen him as someone, you know, because there was a Robin that came before him, uh, do you really then live up to the concept of being a Robin? And even more so, now if you adopt the name Batman, do you live up to that? And that's part of the challenge for him. He is, he has a little bit of self-doubt. So he recognizes the mantle that he's taken on both from Terry McGinnis and Batman and he's trying to live up to it and we always get that voice of doubt in the background in the person of Matt McGinnis who's Terry's younger brother who basically has said wait a minute why didn't I get the suit? So I think that really starts to pull together to make for an interesting character-driven story.
4: Yeah, and you've seen that first issue that Matt is a little resentful that he, he didn't is. get it. So what is their relationship going to be like in the future?
8: That'll be Stay Tuned, because okay. obviously it has started out a little bit rocky. And then we also had Barbara Gordon to the mix. And Barbara, as she was in the show, is now police commissioner of Gotham City. And we have some fun surprises coming up with her. But that's where we. it's great to have someone... Um, Who's from the future and the past. You have Kim from the past. You have Matt from the future. But when you blend it all together, that's how it becomes more of a seamless story.
4: We also see Max, another classic character. We see
8: Max. We see Ink, if you've seen the second issue. Ink is there. Uh, Batman Beyond has such a great rogues gallery. You think of Spellbinder. You think of Shriek. You think of everybody that goes on from there. And we're certainly going to get in and explore them.
4: Okay. Any other classic characters that we can look forward to coming
8: in? I think we have some classic characters. We have a huge surprise coming in uh, right at the end of number three. Okay. And I think when people see that, they're going to say, what are these people doing? And um, I think it's going to drive the book in a really good, solid direction. And we really are committed to the idea of each issue having to end with that sense of, surprise we had barbara gordon in issue one that took everyone by surprise and that's sort of our mission statement which is every issue needs that what are they doing sort of feeling at the end that makes you want to go out and get the next issue
4: absolutely now something that's been really special about the batman beyond tv series and other incarnations of it is that we got to see terry outside of the cowl is that something you're going to look for or do yeah once
8: once we get past the storyline of the first six issues you can't leave a character in the costume all the time. You have to see him outside the costume and it's how will Tim blend into this world of the future. It's a very different place for him and it's a place that exists in a way because he failed to destroy Brother Eye back in the past. So he has to make up for that.
4: Okay, and speaking of Brother Eye, he's always going to be in the background. Are you going to sort of fill in with villains but then always there in the back of Tim's I I think is what it is
8: right? is Brother Eye is mission one, but then yes, we have to grow beyond that into an environment where we have a lot of different villains. That is the richness of the Batman beyond animated universe, and we need to use
4: that. Okay, moving on to Batmite. So Batmite is a character I think that some people love, and some people don't like as much. So how did you guys go to this character? How did you figure out, since he's sort of tricky? How did you approach him? Well,
8: in the beginning, I just wanted to try something different, and do something that was a lot of fun. And it was... So I had themes I wanted to explore, and Batmite became not, the perfect like, guy to do it with, and DC said, okay, we'll roll with that, and then we started looking at artistic <laughs> samples, and Bobby Chase actually was the first one to show me your work, and said, what do you think of Corinne? And I said, perfect, let's go with it. And so now you can jump in
2: yes it was like incredibly exciting like just um and like the first thing of course is like how, what's batmite gonna look like are we gonna go with the was it 1950s version was yeah it, yeah 19 are we gonna go with like every, he was writing me of like a little noodle every time i saw his older version like he's just kind of like floppy ears and like old-fashioned like style so like and i had to draw some more inspiration like to make him more up up to date like um like Inspiration being like how buff Girls or like okay, Lankeet like so Bruce Tim. Like, can we like made, make him more so expressive, Charlie, like, and less of like little day, so creepy we'll little nip I guess. Um, but like, yeah, like just um, redesigning we're him the and then come finally come having today. a chance to, to talk to, to Dan, which is really closely. exciting. Um, it's like I'm working with big time professional Dan Jurgens over here. It's really great. Okay. So, um, right. but yeah, okay. like, having that oh, chance right. to, like, finally uh, take this character and, like, make him express it was just really exciting. So, What was your first introduction
4: to the Batmite character? Do you remember? Uh,
2: I actually, truth be told, I never really heard of Batmite and until they okay. proposed the project <laughs> to me.
8: Mine would have been um, way back when there was a great little story in an issue of... A Batman it might have been Batman Family. I'm not sure, but it shows Batmite visiting the DC offices, and it was drawn by Michael Golden. And it's just this wonderful, like, little four-page story uh, where we see Batmite in the DC offices bouncing around. So I, that was my first exposure to him, and then later I saw, you know, his original appearances that were in the '50s that were shown like in the Giants and stuff like that, the reprints. So, and then he was in cartoons and everything. And then I, one of my kids was watching the Brave and Bold cartoon here like a few years back. All of a sudden I walked by it and Batmite was on it. It's like, whoa, is there anything they won't do?
4: Yeah. Any other classic characters that you can tease us that are going to appear throughout the rest of the series? What do you take
8: this one?
2: Well, we have Booster coming up, which okay. is really exciting. Robin, of course. Robin being number two, Booster being number three? Yep. Yeah, three. Okay. No. And,
8: yeah, Robin is three. Robin is three. Booster is four.
2: Booster's four. Then we have the inferior five coming in. Okay. Um, I'm still a little in the surprise area of what's happening with number six. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm in the dark with that one. And which Robin is it? This is uh, Damian Wayne. Okay. Damian yeah. Wayne Robin.
8: Yeah, so. and obviously yeah. Damian being the serious kid that he is yeah. has yeah. real problems with someone yeah. like that, yeah. yeah.
2: So it's like this weird contrast where a kid that's like, what, he's like 12, 13? Yeah. He should be happy when he's like the one just frowning all the time. So yeah. it's like this lovely little contrast. that night's whole
8: mission plot. is to make him smile. Okay. That's just it. Kid, you've got to laugh. you got to <laughs> smile. That's the whole plot. It's
3: an admirable goal. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I've enjoyed what you've got so far, so good Great. Thank you. You're welcome.
4: Then right after, I'm telling you, a quick turnaround. I just took a few short steps and then I talked with Lee Bermejo Who is the current writer of We Are Robin. He was tight whipped on things. Uh, I kept asking him questions and he just kept saying, you have to wait and see. So you can wait and see or listen to this interview now. Hey, this is Stella with the Batman Universe. I'm with Lee Bermejo, current writer of We Are Robin and Suiciders. So I'm going to talk about We Are Robin today. So would you say that this could be almost an alternate Bruce Wayne story where what if Bruce Wayne didn't have someone to back him up and be that sure foundation? Because Luke or Duke is was all by himself almost.
9: Yeah, I think I think, the, I think
5: <laughs> it's, it's
9: I wouldn't make that comparison necessarily okay. just because I, I feel like um, Duke is is uh, is such a so different character than Bruce,
3: and hopefully the more people get to you know him, to the, the back more back those differences here. are going go to um,
5: start uh, to be can really noticeable
9: because we're really trying to craft a lot of characters with this book that don't fit in the traditional model of what people have seen for, like, Batman and Robin. Um, And I really like the idea of having characters... Come from different backgrounds and have different approaches to like the, the concept of like street justice, you know? So um, I think that Bruce is um, Bruce is a much more black and white. You know, he thinks about the world much more black and white, and uh, I think the Duke sees the shades of gray. Okay. The uh,
4: so a big point, point, point is the fact that Duke doesn't know where his parents are or right. in what state they're in. Is that something that's going to be resolved in the first arc or is it going to be sort of a long ongoing?
9: Um, I can't say it's going to be resolved in the first arc, but I, I also don't want to say exactly where it lands in the story because it, 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 it affects some other things going on too. Um, yeah, but I think people can, can definitely expect to see
4: I think
9: you
5: guys practiced. are <laughs>
4: You know,
9: have some I'm kind not of resolution.
4: Okay. Yeah. So we see in the first issue, Duke doesn't necessarily play well with others. So, how is his relationship going to be with these other Robins that sort of drop in on him?
9: You're going to find out in two weeks. Okay. In the next issue. Yeah. I wish I could say more, but I feel like it's, uh
4: again, the second issue that
9: that's directly addressed. Okay. In the second issue.
4: specific. Okay. You know,
9: how he does play. With these
4: okay. Others. Can you tell us at all why these Robins? got but together, or what sort of purpose yeah. they have?
9: like, I've been telling, winner, a lot of people have been asking a me and
3: the way I look at it is this, most people aren't there at the ground floor of, the of, the of a movement so starting, right? Most people learn about it, like, um... I'm going to give you it back know, to you guys uh, to your They
9: learn way. about it as as it's already going on and, and I wanted to give readers that same experience and have a character who was introduced to something that had, you know, that had started already and was really, you know, um, it, it, you know, already in force, And uh, oh, I, I feel like the so why that it that it was, know that you know, the movement started a <laughs> was directly uh, a response to what's going on in Gotham. You know, you have these major okay, events right. like Endgame guess, and things so that affect the population done, of the city. And um, you haven't seen you in the past a lot of stories ahead. about I mean, the I mean, collateral damage, uh, you know, caused by these kind of big superheroic events. So, you you know, I think the fact that you also have Gotham City now with a, a police-run Batman, you know, uh, might make some people uneasy, and um, you know, you're one step closer to a,
3: you know, you're one step step closer to a totalitarian state.
9: So, I mean, I think that that generally results in in, in uh, specifically in, in youth in and some kind of reaction too, right?
4: and you so you mentioned yeah. this Robo yeah. Bat you've got Jim Gordon right. and he has made it his purpose right. to get rid of these unlawful vigilantes yeah. so how long is it going to take for Jim to have a run in with the, the Robin gang uh,
9: really soon Okay. you can expect that really soon
4: okay yeah
9: um, that's another thing that gets addressed in the first story arc. so it's really you know and, and that's something that was talked about from the very beginning is, is um, how does this new Batman interact with these with these characters you know you know, I think most people can probably probably guess, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's an interaction that, that has um, major ramifications on, on my book.
4: Okay. So, just dropped this morning, we've got the Batman and Robin Eternal story. Right. How is We Are Robin going to fit in with Eternal?
3: Well, We Are Robin,
9: really, uh, they're dealing with events in Batman Eternal, Batman and Robin Eternal, that took place in the past. So they're addressing Robins that have already come, come to pass. Okay. So We Are Robin doesn't really fit into that storyline. It fits into the Robin Wars. Okay. Uh, the Robin War. So that's going to be a, the, the, the crossover event that addresses... Where these new We Are Robins fit into the whole
3: mythological concept of
9: of Robin. And it's also going to be their first interaction with with a Robin, Damien. So um, that's going to be more We Are Robin centric. Okay.
4: Why is uh, the Robin War considered a crossover? How does that compare to other quote unquote crossovers that the Batman universe has had since the new 52 started?
9: Well, it's going to be, it's basically going to deal with all the youth characters in Gotham City so you know Robinson of Batman uh, um, Gotham Academy is going to be in that as well yes. and, and we are Robin okay. and um, yeah and you know it's it's going to be a uh, uh, you know, it's going to be an event that specifically tackles uh, the old guard versus the new guard
4: Okay. Okay. Is this mostly going to be an ensemble group? Or, or do you think you'll introduce any other main characters alongside Duke that you can really explore?
9: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on six characters in this book. There are many other okay. kids in Gotham who are part of this movement. But I'm focusing on six. There's a reason why I'm focusing on those six. Okay. You'll find that out in the story. But people can also expect some, some guest stars. Like, um, you know, as I said, Batman shows up. Yep. Uh, issue 4 Batgirl shows up so um, and and obviously with Robin War Damien will be be, uh, making his presence known so you can definitely expect some of the major Batman characters to be you know uh, showing up in the book and having a direct, you know, that presence really having an effect on the story.
4: Can we expect original villains, or are you going to be pulling from some rogues galleries of Batman and other established bat villains?
9: There are some original villains. There are some there.
4: there are some
9: classic rogues, um, and it's a little early to talk about, but I'll tease it a little bit. There's going to be a... Villain concepts that we're going to be addressing in a different way, a major villain concept, and that will be the second story arc.
3: Okay. So, what are you most looking forward to then, if you were? Um, right. at, just writing the book now, creatively I'm yeah. really looking forward to
9: uh, seeing what my artists uh, are going to do with this this uh, second story arc because um, uh, it's just in its infancy stages right now but I'm really looking forward to seeing you know how they're going to tackle uh, uh, the story as the story kind of the story just gets exponentially bigger each issue so you know by the third issue it's the third issue is exploding with Robins, okay? And by I would say issue ten, that's just going to be even crazier because uh, you're going to you're going to have. Um, yeah. Again, I can't talk too much about it. I'm and I feel like I'm going to spoil. It, okay. But but it's definitely going to you know expect it to get bigger and bigger, and bigger okay. even in terms of villains.
4: Okay. Final question: Do you think we'll see any stability with Duke and sure. just finding him finding a family for your uh, first arc, or is it going to be a little while?
9: Um, not in, okay. not in the first arc.
4: Okay. Not in the first arc.
9: But you know, that's. Again, his, his storyline, specifically his search for his parents, okay. is, is a major through line to, my, to the story I'm telling. It's something that's really important to where, um, to, to all these characters coming out, where they come out on the other side. So, again, yeah, I just don't want to really talk too much about it. Because okay. it's, 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 um, it would be spoiling a lot of stuff.
4: Yeah. No one likes spoilers. So thank you so much for talking with sure. us. Sure. Uh, then I scurried over to our first press event that we had, and it was for Justice League Gods and Monsters. And um, I talked about the the Marriott, which will uh, come into play later in my in my story. The Hilton is on the left side, if you're looking at the convention center, on the left side of it. And it, it often uses the room's... Uh, i guess two levels up well actually there are levels uh, that are used as panels and then you know there are others when you go higher up into the building there are rooms that are used for press events on uh, their security of course because you know if you're doing a supernatural panel or a uh vampire diaries which in fact uh was in the same room that i was in at one point then you know you don't want people like fans running around uh Harassing people. So Justice League, Gods and Monsters, and uh, Tamara Taylor, who plays uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Becca, C. Thomas Howe, who plays Will Magnus, and Paget Brewster, who plays Lois Lane, were all there. And then there was executive producer Bruce Tim, director Sam Liu, writer and producer Alan Burnett, and the dialogue director or voice director Andrea Romano so these are round tables you can also do video reviews which we had done for a few years for the Batman universe and then we sort of just decided to do these round tables the idea is that one of the people you know one of these famous people here sits down then you have maybe five or six perhaps more press people and they ask them questions hopefully you're not stepping over each other now gods and monsters is set in a different universe a different earth from the normal DC universe so Superman is the son of Zod. Batman is Kirk Langstrom, and he's a vampire. And uh, Wonder Woman is a new god, Becca. So very different. So right off the bat, you know, this is your mother's (laughs) Justice League, basically. Your your trinity, as it were, as they call it. And uh, if you've seen the shorts that are on YouTube by... Makinima, I believe, Mashinima, I, 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 who, you, you know what I'm talking about, if you know what I'm talking about. Then you know that this is pretty dark, uh, dark and violent. And, you know, that trend is going that way because um, the, the prior film that I would say really leads up into this uh, with this sort of dark tone and, and violence is Assault on Arkham and uh so anyways i was prepared for it uh so we did these interviews uh which don't have the audio for them but you can check uh later this week or rather sorry it should already be on on the batman universe um just a write-up about about what uh what happened there we just talked about their characters and, and things like that and went and oh we actually got free passes to go and and see this um and one of those exclusive seating passes actually that's the first time that uh dc slash warner brothers has done that for for this sort of event so we went over and watched the film and i do have to say uh and and i'll preface this by saying that i liked assault on arkham i actually thought that it was good but i was astounded with the uh, the violence and uh, the sexuality that was portrayed in there so I think I was astounded more because I mean prior to this these weren't sort of the things that you dealt with in these uh, direct-to-video DC Comics films uh, but I think we're going with that trend so I'm glad I saw that so it prepared me this one it, it was it was dark it was violent it was gritty but I actually thought uh, the story was interesting I enjoyed it uh, they had some backflashes to to um, to tell us how Batman got the way he was they started off with Superman at the beginning and then uh, filled in with with Becca as well and I think Becca's backstory was certainly the most interesting I don't want to ruin the movie for you but you know if you are ready for a more adult themed Justice League that has different members of the Justice League then I certainly recommend uh, checking this one out if you liked uh, Assault on Arkham I think that you will like this one now we left early because it was i mean when did that start that started at seven i think close to it so seven to nine was going to be the panel and and a a friend stopped by well a common friend of of don and josh that they know from another site and uh so we were going to go and get dinner with him and he had to go get his car so We decided to leave when when the panel was answering questions because we thought we were going to be there. Sadly, we missed some of the the exclusives, the announcements. One of them, well, both of them being the next slate of films, uh, one of them being Justice League versus the Titans, another one, Batman Bad Blood, which is going to be featuring Batwoman and Batwing, and then Would You Believe the killing joke um no we weren't in this panel when this happened uh which i think to to dustin's chagrin because he didn't get the news he had to get it from well we we told him about it but we texted it so it wasn't as up-to-date as it could have been but like my heart sank like i i had a physical and emotional reaction to this one when, when josh showed it to me on his phone and and i thought maybe it was uh a joke. I mean, all he had to say to me was, "You're not gonna like this." You know what the next film is gonna be, and I knew exactly what it was gonna be. I, uh, I, I, guess you know, in my heart of hearts, I thought that they would never go there. You know, they went there with Arkham Knight, and I thought maybe that's all, all it needs to show. But, I mean, maybe Assault on Arkham and Gods and Monsters is sort of like the gateway. You know, the drug that that gets us going into these darker tales that you never thought you would see. Because I feel like I remember an interview with Bruce Tim that we had done in the past where, you know, it's something that he would like to do, but, you know, they're not there yet. It's a little too dark and gritty, and and here we are. And, you know, Mark Hamill, semi-retired from voicing the Joker, has always said that he would come back and do that. And, you know, later on in the weekend, uh, a friend of ours who owns a comic shop in L.A. had said that uh, in fact, Mark Hamill was in his shop buying The Killing Joke. So if that speaks to you, then, you know, I think we all know what it means. But, but frankly, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. But at the same time, as if you want to be, you know, a journalist, a professional person reporting for a site, you need to sort of push aside your feelings and, and actually report on that. So I'm not looking forward to that at all. Will I stay for that screening? I I really don't know. Like, honestly, <sighs> I, I can't be the only one out there that feels this way. But, you know, there it is. So that was sort of the disappointing news of the night, I would say. So again, if you want to hear or if you want to read uh, sort of the recap from that panel, just stay tuned to The Batman Universe. That article should be up by the time you are listening to this. I should also say that on Friday, uh, prior to the uh, Lieber Mayhoe interview, there was some news dropped in the morning about Batman and Robin Eternal and Robin War, and we weren't sure where this news was coming, because it was not in a panel, it was announced separately somewhere else, only specific news outlets were getting it. And uh, we came to find out there were sort of secret press events that only uh, a certain people were invited to. Dustin will actually get us in uh, to the one on Saturday, but it's just sort of a bummer that actually they did it on Thursday and Friday. Sort of a new thing that they were doing this year. And uh, I'll talk about that again in a little bit. But, you know, that, that news, of course, I had to change up a little bit my approach with Lieber Mayo because he'll be involved with uh, Robin war so yes so things change as you were going you may be planning things out but it doesn't <laughs> work as well as you think it's going to be I saturday josh i know went to the warner brothers presentation you know since he he got his first taste of hall h he was back for more so he got to see batman versus superman that trailer suicide squad trying to think if there is anything else in there so um that was sort of his uh his duty i guess uh he put it on himself though uh things he wanted to do And then there was the DC Universe Batman panel, which I believe not much was revealed, but at the same time, uh, there was some overlap there. I had uh, an interview with the Batgirl creators, so I was unable to do all of that. But before even that, I had that secret press event. I think it started, it was either 9, 9.30 or 10. It's in the Marriott, so I'm back to the Marriott now. I don't even know where it's, you know, the special room. What's it called? It's called the Temecula Room. I'm like, I have no idea. So the Temecula Room was already brought up because I have an interview there today, later on. So I asked one of the PR people, where is this room? She's giving me directions. North Tower, North Tower. I'm like, ugh, I don't know what that means. So I know Friday night as some fireworks were going off, I was comparing a map on my phone, an architectural uh, drawing to what I was actually seeing I'm like okay I found the North Tower so I decided to go early Uh, I always like to get to these press things early just get set up and I don't know that's just me but uh, I found it I found the room I was able to to navigate so it's good that I had this so that I could I knew where to go so that later in the day I wasn't scrambling around being stressed out not being able to find the room so I go down oh my goodness this secret press room as I call it it's got a full-out nice little continental breakfast setup. You know, it's almost like almost like a movie uh, Q&A sort of layout because you've got tables, but you also have uh, those nice little director chairs up front. So you're thinking, "Oh man, what's about to happen here?" It was the last one. It was the first year that they were doing this. It was it was an interesting experience. I I got one of the the first. First tables there, and that announcement was uh, about milestone and about developing the universes outside of um, Earth Prime, however we are calling it. Uh, which I have have that now. I'll I'll slide that in there after you know after I'm done with this. You were well treated there. You were well treated there, and uh, hopefully it's something that they continue. I guess maybe it's not a secret press event anymore because it was going on, and, and then before leaving we were all given goodie boxes and in it was a vertigo hat which in fact i'm wearing right now as i record and a ps4 version of arkham knights and a multiversity comic so they were very good to us not only with the breakfast but also with that and here's that panel it's a bit longer But here's that panel now, just to hear uh, what announcements they had.
10: Let me me get this started, uh, (laughs) we've got some really great announcements for you today, and with that I'd like to turn it over to the co-publishers of DC Entertainment, Dan DeDio and Jim Lee.
1: Last but not least, I want to thank Michael Schelling. For the great introduction! Yes, thank you. (laughs) For putting up with us, specifically Dan. (laughs) you know no, it's no, his no. first con we had to kind of put him through it yeah, so, sorry he's yeah next year
10: it'll be snooze fest anyway so, so,
1: so.
11: yeah no, I'm not sure. with a voice like that you should be doing weddings and movies muzzle top okay hi everybody um really and for those people who are here for the third time congratulations i um, <laughs> really appreciate that uh, yeah, exactly. We did come here. There is no breakfast here tomorrow, so sorry. About that. <laughs> but uh, we do want to cover a couple of things, and we got some great announcements. And, and more importantly, there's a more, lot more interesting people are going to be talking here than me. And, uh, Jim, yes? Jim? No, Jim's with you're a co-publican. Okay, so the first question is, Jim, what project are you going to be doing next? <laughs> We're going to talk about it later. Okay, we are. Excellent. So here we go. What we want to do is cover a couple of announcements that we had yesterday, and I can't do a mic. I'm sorry. Um, we have a couple announcements that we did yesterday, and we were very excited about it. We got a, we had a lot of attention to a convergence series, and a lot of was going on. And one of the biggest questions we kept on receiving was, "What else is going to come from that? Did it matter? Was it standalone, or was it something that was going to lead to other storytelling in the DCU?" Um, and simultaneously, we had questions about multiversity. And Multiversity is this great epic that Grant put together. Does so, that I mean it was a seven year seven year? It was epic. Yeah, about seven seven to eight year epic. Uh, and it all came together in a way that we, we couldn't have been any more happy about how it all turned out. So one of the things we wanted to do is to make sure after the move was completed with DC to really get in place a couple of things that we felt were so exciting that spun out of both Multiversity and Convergence and, and get these books right. And we're very happy to announce these books right now. On the Convergence side, we have three series coming out. first one is, um, which is a highly anticipated series, a highly thought about series, uh, Superman, Lois, and Clark. You know, and we've been, very, we've been a little cagey in our world of continuity and fans about what exactly happened at the end of Convergence, how did this all come together. We saw basically a team of, from, of superheroes from different timelines and different worlds arrive, go together, and move into our current time here to save our, our world from crisis on infinite Earth. And then at the end of that moment, we had a chance to see all the worlds that existed in the DCU turn into the worlds that were created in multiversity. So one of the things we're going to say right now is that this all was part of a plan. This was something that we wanted to pull together, and it was great that we had the convergence of convergence of multiversity happening and closing at the same time, that we could pull these series together. And what we do now is we have a story that's going to be Lois and Clark, and Dan Jurgens will fill you in a little bit more of that as we go ahead. Do you want it to right now?
8: Do I need the mic? Can everybody hear me? Because I have a choice between the coffee or the mic, and the coffee is going to win. And uh, the funny part uh, is, <laughs> I thought you to warm mic. <laughs> uh, Lois and Clark is going to tell the story of what happened to Lois and Clark Kent, and this is the married version that had a baby in the Two Shoe Convergence tie-in series. And they are going to be coming to the DC Universe now. We will find out that they have actually been here for a total of nine years. And this is Jonathan Kent, who has now grown to the age of about nine years old. And it is going to be a family story about Lois and Clark, as well as what has Superman been doing on this planet this entire time. Because everything you've seen in the New 52, uh, when that launched in 2011, Dan? 2011? 2011, He has been here, and he has been observing events. And it's part of, this tells the story of not only what has he been doing through that amount of time, What has Lois been doing? What will they be doing going forward? So it gets us back to that sort of um,
11: fun, family kind of setup in a book with Lois, Clark, and Jonathan. And also coming from that too, we have another series which we alluded to in the Convergence series called Titans Hunt. What we're going to do is actually go back to the original sense of the Titans. If you remember, everybody has this great recollection and great memory of the, the Teen Titans when they were introduced by... Lee, I'm sorry it was not Lee, by Mark Wolfman and George Perez we've actually shown that there was a team that existed in our storytelling beforehand and we're going to tell the story of, of the team of teen Titans featuring a lot of recognizable faces and more importantly how they were integral and part of the DC universe and how they come to play back into the universe again thirdly we're gonna have another series uh, we had a lot of fun creating a character called Telos in the in the storytelling for for convergence. Um, We thought he had a lot of potential, a lot of excitement. Jeff, who did a wonderful job pulling Convergence together, is going to be stepping on board, and I'd like to introduce Jeff King just to take us through the Telos book. Hey, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? All right. Uh,
12: uh, Telos uh, is, uh, like uh, Lois and Clark and uh, Jonathan, going to uh, reemerge from Convergence, and uh, he's on an odyssey, and his journey is to um, complete the memories that he began to receive at the end of Convergence. He wants to find his family, he wants to be reunited with them, uh, and more importantly, he wants to uh, be reunited with his people. And in order to do that, he follows what he thinks is a trail home, empowered by Brainiac, who at the end of Convergence, and something that we didn't see but that we're going to reveal, gave to Telos a small shard of that power and information that he had been collecting over the 75 years of BC history, uh, and then divested himself of at the end of Convergence, all those timelines. And so Telos is going to go straight to Brainiac. But of course, getting what you want isn't always what You should have, sometimes what you wish for, uh, you better be careful of. And that's what's going to happen with talents.
11: Okay. And lastly, I want to go, and this is what I want to say. And I actually want to go back a little bit, you know. I've, I've been reading Grant's stuff for, I, I, probably for most, I feel, almost probably as long as you've been writing, Yeah. you know. Since uh, 1856. Eight, exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I just yeah. packed those books and moved them out west. Yeah. Um, but what I loved, and one of the things I loved when first Grant's first started was Seven Soldiers of Victory, the Seven Soldiers storyline, which I thought was this incredibly complex, in, intelligent examination of character, worlds, and everything. And I didn't know if there was ever going to be able to top it and I believe Multiversity actually topped that, and possibly is my favorite, uh, honestly probably my favorite work that you've ever done. Um, and with Multiversity, we examined so many different worlds with so many unique styles and tones and voices, and I felt that, you know what, we needed to examine that more. So Grant, coming out of Multiversity, rather than addressing the worlds he just wrote about, we're going to go one step further. There was an idea introduced there called the second Multiverse
5: existed outside that.
11: And we're going to create a series of books called Multiversity 2, T-O-O. And what that stands for, basically, is to show that when DC in its day was doing Elseworlds, they created a lot of interesting worlds that ultimately became part of our multiverse. And with Grant and Laleve, with Multiversity 2, he'll be taking that same thoughts and ideas that went behind Elseworlds, and creating a whole new set of worlds that will ultimately become, hopefully, our second multiverse. But it's, as you would say, the
13: multiverse is infinite, but let me turn talk it right back to you. <coughs> <coughs> His voice is a lot harder. Yeah, my room. voice is gone last night. I was yelling at Mike Tyson. Right. <laughs> and it's the only way I can beat him is by shouting. So, uh, so my voice is gone. But yeah, I've always wanted the infinite multiverse of DC to come back. So we kind of sneaked it in the back door. The, the, the multiverse that we set up back in 52 had 52 universes. And that just didn't seem enough, you know. I mean, mean, fifty-two universes isn't enough for DC Comics. So we kind of managed via the multiverse to sneak an entire infinite multiverse through the back door. So we've not only got multiverse two, we've got the potential for all kinds of (laughs) many more multiverses. The ideas we've been looking at, some of the latest ideas from string particle physics and they're talking about there's, there's a potential that out there we're just one of many, many hundreds of thousands of multiverses that rise up like bubbles in some gigantic five-dimensional continuum and that's my meat and drink, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we wanted to actually reflect that and... DC was ahead of the curve back in the sixties when when Joey Schwartz and John Broom and those guys come up with the idea of the multiverse, they were ahead of science. And science is only now coming round to actually Yeah, DC was right in 1963. So we we kinda wanna pay pay that back and and say, yeah, okay, we've been listening to what you guys have to say and we're gonna create this beyond infinite multiverse, and I'm sure. Once you get into higher dimensions, even infinity probably has infinity squared and <laughs> infinity times three. So this is endless, and I just love the idea of the potential and the possibilities that we can tell all these different types of stories using DC characters in completely unusual settings. Thank you.
11: And now we're going to turn it back to Jim. We we started with the question, "What are you doing next?" Right. So, Jim, it's all you now. Yeah,
1: actually yeah, I'm gonna. Can you, can you guys hear me in the back? All right, great. I got my two legs underneath me here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start out uh, a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, <laughs> talk a little about the 1990s. I think a lot of you guys might have been like eight eight years old. But <laughs> so, the uh, 90s were. I mean, it gets it gets knocked a little bit. The costumes, whatever. The cross-hatching, the splash pages. But um, at the end of the day, it was a really fertile, very exciting time for comic books, right? You had the creation of Vertigo Comics. You had the creation of some. Imprint print called uh, Image, or a company called Image Comics. And uh, the third exciting comical company really to come out of that era, to, in my mind, was Milestone Media, Milestone Comics. And that, that company really set about to address the fundamental imbalance of, of in the business. Uh, there was not a, the right representation of minority characters and minority creators in the business. And in many ways, it was really ahead of its time, right? They actually, this is before Hollywood ever even invaded uh, San Diego Comic-Con, they actually held a party at a nightclub to launch the imprint, right, Dennis? Right. And this, And, and <laughs> he actually had a pass. He had a pass, and that it was, was like just unheard of. Like, a a what? Lying. They had a list. And uh, they actually dressed up in suits. I mean, it was a whole different whole, thing. And it really, in my mind, was the beginning and the of, of the change of the Comic-Con. And they, because they knew the impact of what they were doing and the... And the future and potential of it all—that it wasn't just about comics; that there were not enough minority characters in the world of entertainment. And so, in many ways, I think it was really ahead of its time. And we're really excited to announce today that we are bringing back Milestone Comics. We are creating uh, Earth M, which is <coughs> thanks to uh, Grant's uh, map of the multiverse. He left us, I believe, five slots, seven, seven <laughs> slots, seven <laughs> slots. So, so this uh, is the first right, right. So, this is the first, and so we're just happy to announce that we have couple of the co-founders of Masto here, plus Reginald Paglubin, awesome. and we're going to bring up on stage, and they're going to talk about what we're doing. Hey,
7: everybody! Hey, go, go, go. Oh! Seat.
10: Okay.
7: <laughs> 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 Grant. It, Grant. There yeah, you guys some, take
10: You guys say. And then we're going to open it up to the Q&A. All right. Okay. Yeah, we got it all set.
7: Right. Um, you got your ingredients. Yes. Hi, I'm Reggie Huffman. I'm uh, Derek Dingle. I'm Dennis Caul. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um uh, Dennis and Derek or two of the original co-founders of Milestone Media. And I'll talk about them because I was a fan. You know, um, I had just made my first movie, House Party. And one of the great things about um, having a little bit of success is that if you call someone, they'll call you back. So uh, I was just such a fan of their work even before Milestone. And then when I saw what they were doing with characters like Static Shock and Icon and Hardware, I was like, oh, I love these guys, they gotta be down. So I called them and I went to visit their offices and I was just blown away by what they were doing, both uh, in terms of the content of the work and the idea they were building this amazing institution. I felt that they were building what was the equivalent of Motown in the comic book world. Uh, And, you know, I say Motown because they were doing Great work. The same way when you think of Time you think of great music. Now, still work great comics. And I wanted to join them at the time, but I had my day job that just kind of started, and I figured I should well,
14: stick with that. Yeah, one. no, 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 no. It's <laughs> <laughs> too early for me. Um, We asked him to join. We asked Reggie to join. We were like, dude. We're doing this thing, we're down with you, you're down with us. Come join us. Come join us in this question. He looked at us, he's like, I got a day job. And and I'm about to start this movie. it's boomerang. Like, oh man, you're gonna work with Eddie, you're gonna work with Eddie Murphy instead of working with us. <laughs> but uh, everything comes back around. Right. You
7: know? So um, you know, I never lost touch with those guys. and you know, the late great Dwayne McDuffie, you know, Dennis Cowan, you know, these guys were really my mentors and really taught me the comic book business. And You know, I've been fortunate enough now to have worked in the comic business a little bit. Um, And tragically, when Dwayne McDuffie passed away several years ago, that was really the impetus. Um, Yeah,
15: Um, when Dwayne McDuffie passed, we had a memorial service Dwayne was just such a force in the comic book industry. And in the early days, when you saw the Bible of Milestone and the characters that were created and designed, Dennis and Dwayne put together the Bible, I, I felt that we had to keep this alive. And at the memorial service, or after the memorial service, I went to Dennis and to Reggie specifically and said, look guys. We have to keep this company alive, we have to maintain diversity in this industry. There has to be more stories that are told that are out there. I said, the week before I went to the memorial service, there was this young man that came up to me and said, well, he was young, he was in his 30s, so I guess. Young and relative, but he said, Milestone saved my life. So I told Reggie and Dennis, I said, Let's share some more stories and uplift some lives.
7: So, uh, you know, Dennis has had an extraordinarily career, not only as a legendary uh, artist, but also as a producer and director in animation. You know, he was one of the key forces behind the Static Shock animated series, which was a huge success. Uh, You know, Derek Ding was the editor-in-chief of Black Enterprise, uh, and, you know, I still had a day job, but it was a call. That we could not ignore. We just had to do it, uh, and it's taken a while for it to all come together. And I truly cannot express my grat- uh, enough of my gratitude to Jim Lee, to Jeff Johns, to the entire team at DC. You know, this has been you know a very complicated deal to put together, and their patience, their perseverance has been incredible. And. We literally can't believe that we're here in front of you. We can't believe the scale of the projects that we're gonna be doing. I mean now that you know, I mean I people go, what's the difference between what you know, you guys launching this in the in the nineties and now is we're no we're not a minority anymore, we're now in a world of, of a polar uh, polarity <laughs>
5: There's
7: Plural. a lot of people of color that
5: a world of diversity and multiculturalism.
7: But even better is that I always say that, you know, the world has better mental health with each generation. And when I look at my kids and they're playing with their friends, and no one cares if the Barbie is black or white. They just want the cool thing. And and that's what's so encouraging and so exciting. Uh, and as we've been, you know, revisiting the classic milestone characters and. Bringing them and making them contemporary for the 21st century, it's speaking to the great bones of these characters. They're more relevant now than they were then. It's 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 so much you know it's so exciting to go. Oh my God, we can do this with that now. We can go even further. I mean, this is not a nostalgia company. You know, we're going to be definitely pushing them right to the edge of what's happening and inventing new characters that will take things even further.
15: And also bringing new creators, new voices, you know, new people into the industry. That's one of the things that we were proudest of, you know, the fact that we brought some
14: new voices and, some, and diverse voices to the uh, to comic industry and storytelling. Part of our mission with Milestone was not only to do characters, diverse characters of, of, of color and gender and sexual orientation, but to also bring creators. That reflected those characters. That was the most important to us. So that they could speak from an experience that was true and honest. And 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 convey that to our audience that was looking for that experience. But the only way we do that is to get people who are like that.
7: We're, we're also gonna bring in some ringers. Yeah, uh, <laughs> some exactly. that said, um, uh, one of the most exciting you know meetings we had when Jim Lee said, hey, I'm going to come in. I'm going to, you know, draw a book for you. Reg, I can't wait to work with you as an artist. I was like, that's going to happen? I'm going to write something, and then Jim going to draw jealous. it? <laughs> and then I'm going to be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff says, well, I can't wait to write a story for you guys. I'm like, are you kidding me?
14: And then I said to Reggie, and Jeff Johns is going to write something. <laughs> and then you, and can, you feel can feel you a certain way. Right. Yeah.
7: So we, we can go on and on, but we're going to stop. we want to open it up. You know, please talk to us, talk to Grant, talk to Dan Cherkins. you are the man.
14: I'm yeah. saying. For real. Uh, For real. i real.
12: I'd like to ask the first question. How long till we get a static book?
7: Yeah. Uh, we don't have a release date, but I do have 107 written pages.
5: <laughs>
7: so there's <as> that. <laughs>
10: Before we open it up to questions, uh, to the press here. I have a couple of housekeeping items. I wanted to recap with the news that you have heard today. Uh, again, you've heard that we'll be launching uh, three new spin-off series, Telos by uh, Jeff King, Superman, Lois and Clark by Dan Jurgens, and Titans Hunt by Dan Abnett. You've also heard about Multiversity 2, courtesy of Grant Morrison. He'll be uh, penning new tales of his multiverse. So, and also, again, the fun, uh, folks from Milestone have been here to this morning to talk about Earth M, which I'm personally excited about it. Pull me aside sometime and I'll tell you the story I told Dennis about my experience with Milestone in 1993. So, uh, and the always fun part for our journalists out there, embargo dates, boo Um, Milestone The Milestone announcement actually can go up now, okay? Uh, The convergence announcement is actually on your flash drives with assets the uh grants announcement we would like to have embargoed until 2 30 this afternoon after or 1 30 this afternoon when his panel goes live okay so with that i'd like to open up to questions to the press yes you know what do me a favor tell everyone who you are and where you're from uh
12: my name is jeff berkowitz i'm with sci-fi magazine just to be clear, is Milestone launching as a separate imprint, hello, Wildstorm or Vertigo, or is it going to be under the DC Comics imprint? And uh, what ed- that's part one, part two. What editorial input slash control will the DC have over Milestone?
7: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're going to have two bullets on the cover of the, uh, of the magazine. So uh, um, we're in partnership with DC Comics. And, you know, in terms of working together, uh, you know, We're just going to have fun, you know, and for me personally, I'll take a good idea from anybody. (laughs) So, I mean, we just want to make the best possible. I
1: think think one of the great things about the relocation being in Burbank is that Reggie's local and so is Dennis. We had a lot of face-to-face meetings with Jeff, and we were kind of really hammered out a lot of the deal points and the idea for the universe. So... We expect there to be that level of collaboration and interpersonal contact and regular meetings, and that's going to make a huge difference when we roll out the creative Great. Thank
10: you. Okay. Any other questions for the group? I'm looking at Albert and Heidi back there. They just hovered over their keyboard. <laughs> yeah, okay, you talked about maybe-
16: You know, revisiting the characters and, you know, I mean,
7: they are absolutely classic, but I mean, you know, what are some of the considerations about that? Well, you know, we're news junkies and, you know, we watch what's going on in America and across the world and, you know, uh, we're, we're not shy with our opinions and, you know, you know, and what, I mean, to me that's always been the strength of Milestone is that uh, they took, you know, big social and political issues and made them very personal and, you know, and uh, because they were very specific characters that had a wide range of perspectives. You know, you had a character that was a black Republican because he was alive when Lincoln freed the slaves. And you know, and then you had a young kid who got you know superpowers because of a police gas attack. So you know, you had you know, so those ideas are still very relevant
14: now. In fact, they need to be more relevant. You know, we were talking about it before, where in the '90s it was a certain time things were going on in the world, you know, we, we met, for those of us who are around, remember what was going on. And Milestone was a response to a lot of that and an expression of feelings. But now, all these years later, it's the same but amplified. It feels like it's amplified. It feels like it's, the, 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 the situation in the world is bigger, and the problems are like more intense, and, and, and the world is more intense. And we, we, we're we going to have characters, and update our characters, and do things too address those situations.
7: Basically, if the, if the story makes us a little scared, we know we're on the right track. Exactly.
14: If we get nervous, yeah. should we even show this to people? Like <laughs> this <is insane. laughs> yeah. You're on the right track.
10: Yeah. Any other questions for Milestone's team or Grant or?
8: or yep. Yeah. While we were seeing uh, Milestone characters like Sky <laughs> in the
11: mainstream DC oh. Earth mixing up with other DC characters, this sounds like it's all gonna be separate. I just kind of wonder what sort of the uh, philosophy behind that is and uh, sort of the advantages as as you see in that playing out that way.
7: I think there's a, I mean, uh, (laughs) I I looked at both. I I felt that static, uh, the most successful static stories were in their own world. Uh, And, you know, sometimes as the the universe of DC grows, characters integrate uh, who may have originally been part of the, line when they started in 1940 and they integrate very seamlessly, And but I thought in the, in the case of Milestone, they seem to be stronger on their own. Uh, that said, there'll be some surprising integrations that you'll be seeing later.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And you guys
14: are going to be talking about
7: this more on yes. this panel, right? Yes, right. please, please, please. The panel. Um, four o'clock today at the Milestone panel. Room 9. We'll uh, be hosted by Orlando Jones, we're going to talk in great detail. We'll talk about the action figurines. We'll be talking about the static shot live-action digital series. Uh, we'll be going in great detail—I mean, well, more detail rather—about.
3: Uh, uh, you like at me.
5: <laughs> no,
3: no, no, just
7: some more details. More
3: uh, uh, about what we're doing, and As it depends on if I
7: show up at four o'clock. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. And then, um, and then I'll be yakking some more at six o'clock because I'll be, be um, on a, a, a spotlight panel. You know, we'll we talk about milestone and other stuff. Yeah, we did Django with
4: you. Yes, right. So we have a little history. In we have history. Now.
3: Um,
7: I do want to make sure that our other news announcements are getting their proper Q and A as well. I agree.
5: These guys will be in the so, room. So, Dan Grant, what are you doing for miles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can nice. nice. you go? Can right. you nice. go? Nice. <laughs> Can I, I, I say? I
8: say? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Rick, no. Honest to God, when Icon first came out, I just thought that was the greatest title for a book ever. And whenever I tell creators something like this, it is, why didn't I think of that? I just thought that was awesome. It's solid hardware, so.
13: Very happy it's back, but really, Icon was such a great cut. I just want to hear more about my own.
4: So after that press event, I had an interview with the back row creators, Brennan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, and Bab Star. And to be honest. I was most excited for that interview but I was the most nervous and I think you know it's because I know them a little bit it's you know my favorite character my favorite book I just respect the heck out of them and, and and really like them think they're a lot of fun so I was I was crazy nervous uh but it was great you know the the person they were a little behind but the person right in front of me interviewing was on camera and at one point I I was looking over you know my questions getting them memorized and I looked up and Brennan Fletcher saw me and he waved a little bit. So I was like, okay. Uh, You know, they, they remember me from a couple of days ago. Right when I'm ready to interview them, I walk in and they go, still, 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 which you uh, heard at the beginning of this. And that was certain, that was a highlight of the con for me, just uh, having that sort of Marlon Brando moment, somewhat being excited to see me or, you know, just, just great people all around. That was just a, a great interview. And they're just so easy to talk to that I I just wanna keep being able to talk to them and, and interviewing them and so here's that interview now well hello this is Stella for the Batman Universe and Batgirl to Oracle and I'm here with Cameron Babs Brendan and they are of course the creative team for Batgirl it's great to see you guys again nice to
17: see you Stella, you too, Stella. this is our anniversary Stella it, it is it's so
4: exciting Where,
17: the, it was a year ago today I think we met you oh yeah on the Batgirl
4: the, appreciation that's right, up top yeah it was super fun and who knew I think we were all slightly nervous but we were really excited yes. after the appreciation because we felt like you really had a handle on what was going on and yeah. we were not disappointed so Yay. thank you guys thank you so with issue forty-one, I like to call her Digibabs—you know, the digital babs—but it seems like she's not completely gone. Are we safe? Is she completely gone, or because we saw the Children of Hook, they're worshiping something. Could she make a reappearance? Stella,
17: Gotham is never safe. Have <laughs> you not true. learned that yet?
18: That's very <laughs> true. Um, I, anything's possible. Okay. The, the Children of Hook is, was kind of uh, meant to be because there was the two-month break for the Convergence thing. We wanted to. Start with kind of a, a cute little wink to the previous uh, storyline, just, right. just for a, as like a cold. It was like meant to be a like the beginning of a James Bond movie with like the, the cold open. Okay. she's on a little kind of adventure before the main storyline. Right.
4: Okay. In. A lot of changes coming down the pipe for Babs. One of them is Frankie. How much is she going to be a part of these missions? We've already seen her in a couple of them.
17: Well, this is a uh, this is a big story point for us, um, Frankie. Now knows a lot about Barbara's life. She knows that she's Batgirl, and she knows that um, Batgirl has been on her own a lot of the time. And she loves Barbara and wants to be there for her, um, both as a friend and now as a partner. But is that something that Babs wants? Is she comfortable with that? Is Putting
19: her in
17: danger. Yep. Putting Frankie in potentially dangerous situations is not something that Babs is very comfortable with. So it's something that these two friends are going to be wrestling with over the next few issues. Frankie's pretty headstrong. Yeah. Frankie
18: Frankie has her own ideas of what she wants to do. The funny
19: ca- thing is they both have that that need to like do justice. Like, I think Frankie feels really inspired by Babs. Like, what she found happened, she's background. You'll see.
4: We'll see what happens. <laughs> You've been dangling a carrot in front of us for a little bit about what Frankie's handle is going to be. When is that going to drop?
18: Uh, that carrot is going to continue to dangle. <laughs> oh, <an> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs>
4: Another change is of course her father being Batman. How is this going to change her relationship? We've sort of seen it a little bit.
18: Um, will it change the relationship? Well, we we have a a scene where Jim Gordon comes out to her as Batman. He he right. reveals to her that he is he is the new Batman because he feels like he can't keep a secret from her. He's not supposed to tell anybody. And he does but the one person he's gonna confide in is her. But she can't tell him that she's Batgirl. So there's a there's an interesting dynamic where she almost feels like she's uh, she's guilty for keeping a secret from her own dad when he trusts her with his most the private
19: next, next issue is really fun. It gets really cute because she, she's kind of been in the cow a lot longer than his dad has. So she's like, kind of like protecting him, like showing him the ropes. So the next issue's going to be really fun. Okay. We've seen
4: some conflict between Jim and Batgirl prior in this series. So how is this conflict going to be distinct from the earlier one?
17: Um, I think that uh, Jim has made some progress in how he believes Batgirl operates, Um, and now when he is Batman, he's under orders from the GCPD to act in a particular way. So I think that what you'll see in the coming issues is um, Jim balancing his own feelings with his orders, and and I think it goes from there, and you'll see how that plays out in issue 42. No spoilers.
4: Romance for Babs. There's that solicitation with her and Luke. Can you say anything about that?
17: We were ordered by Babs Tar to include uh, makeouts and flirtation, and we. It's in my
19: contract. Yep. Yeah. Oh. And
17: so we're we're going down the Bat Family list of uh, Don't of men. Say <laughs> <that Don't
19: say laughs> that. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm
17: kidding. I'm kidding. Um,
19: They're making great fit though. You know, he's in the tech industry and he has a kind of a history in a bat suit. So I think.
17: Yeah, I mean Luke Fox. Uh, if you know the history of, of his family, uh, you know has had uh, has been in a world that has been involved in development of technology. He has was given a suit. of very uh, I was going to say uh, something from the distinguished competition, but it's a, it's a suit that is. Not unlike the suit that Iron Man wears, (laughs) I guess. Um, But there's a lot of technology built into it that um, he can maybe use to build a startup company with. And there's a startup company in Burnside. Uh, There's a startup culture in Burnside. And so it's something we thought was a natural fit um, to bring him in, to make him the new...
19: See how smooth it goes.
4: We'll see how long it lasts. Okay, okay. Remember I am a dick and bad shipper, so you're letting me down slightly, but I'll go and then just
17: who what? Just are you wait. talking about are you talking about this guy who just is wait, a- to be
4: wing? Okay. Um your first arc was I would almost describe it as a series of one issue vignettes that sort of had this overall theme connecting it and then it culminated in the big villain. Is that something you're gonna pursue with this second arc?
18: I thought we're we're trying to give it a little more room to breathe now. So rather than uh, rather than have these very dense single issue stories, we're allowing them to stretch out into two issues if it needs to, just to just for a little more room to, to kind of to develop things. And then yeah, there's always going to be threads that that carry on through a, a longer story.
4: Okay, I got to talk about Velvet Tiger. I actually, just covered her second appearance in. Backroll the Oracle, and it's crazy history, her pre-crisis and post-crisis. Can you tell me a little bit about her backstory? Her brother's an important part in her history, is Ward gonna be a part of this? So just let You're, me know about Velvet Tiger and what's gonna happen. We can't
17: tell you too much about okay. what's going on, but it's an interpretation. Like, the, like everything in the New 52, it's not exactly as it was before. Um, but there are resonances of, of that, and it's based in the older appearances. Okay. Um, so she does have a brother. And uh, they do own that company together. Okay. And you, I don't know if you, how close you've been reading Stella, but we've been building up mentions of Gilcom for the last number yeah. of months. Um, but things have happened, and uh, as I said, we're playing on the ideas of what a startup culture can mean to Burnside and to Babs's circle of friends. And so, Velvet Tiger was a natural villain to bring in here because she actually owns a tech company. Um, so. We're uh, yeah, we're gonna play with that. You're gonna see everything kind of unfurl over the next few issues.
4: Okay. Final question, Livewire, which was an awesome appearance, you really changed her design to really suit the book and it was great. So what made you go to that design and are we gonna see that more with maybe some other pre-established villains? Yeah, um, her design
19: was very much inspired by her old costume from the TV show. I thought it was really fun on its own and I wanted to keep that similar silhouette of like the little shorts and like the one piece and um, I added some hardware and like a cool, Shoulder thing to give her a little bit of power, and um, we, for Velvet Tiger, though her costume was really bad before. It was like it was like a tiger jumpsuit <laughs> with like fur trimming, and I was like, yep, yep, I can't, yep. like I can't do like I did with Limewire, where it was like a like a homage to her old outfit, uh-huh. so like I kinda took it from the start. I kinda like revamped it. Okay. I was like, okay, she owns a tech company. Yeah. She's obviously fabulous. She's obviously like in charge, you know, I kinda um Kind of like Emma Frost her with her fabulousness and added some tiger stripes. So, okay. Um, the
18: second Marvel reference. I know. <laughs> sorry. sorry, yeah.
19: sorry That's okay. But you know, it's um, yes, yeah, her costume's more. I took more liberties on it because the okay. old one was uh, so
4: ridiculous. Okay. <laughs>
18: I think we've taken a lot of liberties with Velvet Tiger in general. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
4: I'm well, looking yeah. forward to it. Thank you so much for what you've been doing. I really appreciate it, and everyone loves it out there. So. thank, thank you, thank you Of course. Okay after that I had to scurry over. Uh, I should also say that uh, before I I also got a picture with them and it was either the Thursday, I think it was, oh it may have been Wednesday actually, the first day there, I saw at the graffiti uh, booth which is DC owned I would say or affiliated and they have all sorts of awesome t-shirts. I got a a redesigned backroll you know a la Babstar. so I wore that to this interview and then I got a picture with them and, and that's uh, certainly one of my uh, favorite moments as well so then after that I scurried over back to the Temecula room and there was something going on with Amanda Col- Connor on video so then the PR person led me to where Tom King and Tim Seeley were and they are the current writers of Grayson and they were uh, great guys as well so here's that interview Well, hey, this is Sella and I'm with the Batman Universe and here I'm talking with Tom King and Tim Seeley, current writers or creative team on Grayson. Who knows? (laughs) Balls to the wall is Comic-Con. That should be their little (laughs) subtitle there. How would you describe Spiral Now and what their goals are now that Minos is gone or gone in quotes?
20: Well, I mean, I think I think the with Helena at the lead, they want to maintain what they have is that they trade in secrets. Um, and that's sort of one of their you know, one of their assets is that they have the secrets which they decide who gets them uh, and Helena is kind of interested in maintaining that, um, especially since it allows them to have power over other people but it also allows them to do kind of what they want to do, which is you know um, basically they're, they're the good guys but they, the way they do it is not always the best way so, um, yeah I mean I think, with, and with Helena, she, she has some personal vendettas uh, we know that she's, you know maintaining the them going against the twist the fist of cane and some other agencies but as we'll see an issue or we did see an issue Nine, thank you, that she's using this to deal with the other spy community characters um, to sort of you know stand their ground even if they're threatened by the other other spies to keep their house clean
4: is Minos really gone because we had seen prior that he had sort of two life model decoys and he even <laughs> talked about it in that little cat scene so is he really gone and will we ever figure out or find out what his identity was
20: I mean I, we, we wouldn't the whole fun of this book is that you have to keep your guessing so okay. So, you know, absolutely. I mean, we have, a, we, have a, we, we have a
21: long-term plan, and part of that plan is, I mean, the magic of a wonderful spy book is that you're looking over here, and we're doing something else over there. So hopefully what you're seeing and what you're absorbing is you're not getting everything we're doing. There's stuff in the background. There's stuff, there's, there's moving parts, and we want to surprise you and shock you as we go. Okay. So nothing you see is what you think you see.
4: Okay. Can you talk to us about Dick's immediate plans with Sparrow shaking up and him even in that last issue, him really wanting to go home now, and not, you know, reaching out to to Batman. So what are what are his immediate plans?
21: Uh, in in terms of like just like where we are, when's this coming out? It's so silly a question. Yeah.
4: When is this coming out? Yeah. Uh, my editor will transcribe it, so I guess pretty Before soon.
21: Before ten. Before ten. Before ten. Yeah. All right. Um, the overall arc, we've said this before, but is to return Dick to the DCU. He's a social character, mm-hmm. he's a father, he's a brother, um, he's a son, and, and he's a leader. So for the first year we sort of established him as, as this, just to establish his new role in the DCU, and now we're going to bring him back and see how he bounces off characters. So that's like the longer arc. Okay. But in, in terms of the shorter arc, he's going there's a mystery he has to solve. Somebody's been killing spies in this mission. somebody's been setting him up to look like the bad guy. And... That is all leading to issue 12, which the cover's all out, which is Dick Grayson's return to Gotham, which is a huge like event issue for
4: us. Okay. What is his homecoming going to be like? Because really, Batman is the only one that knew that he was still alive. So are people going to feel betrayed that they didn't know and that he lied well, to all of them? Everybody
20: reacts differently. I mean, some people are more angry and some people are more excited. And it's the balance of, you know... We didn't want to tell a whole story where everyone's mad at Dick for coming home and being like, I'm not dead, everyone. We just didn't want to do that. So you see everyone's interactions being very different. And it, part of it is you kind of assume that they've already gotten over being mad, sometimes. Like, it depended on which, which thing we wanted to show, you know. Because that just, that wasn't as interesting a story, right? I Me mean, wrote that issue. Well, I think what makes Dick Grayson interesting is that he has established
21: and complicated relationships with everyone in the Batverse. So, I mean, the way Barbara is going to react to Dick Lyons tour is different than the way... Damien's going to react is different than the way Tim's going to react is different than the way Jason's going to react like, like he has very complicated very well established relationships and exploring sort of how each of them views Dick Grayson and how, and how they view each other is the point of that issue to do like what is a family member a family member did something it was mean he did it for the best reason but he did something that was cruel and how does that affect each of their relationship who sees the bigger picture and who doesn't
4: can you talk at all about his role in the upcoming Batman and Robin Eternal and the Robin War? And then as creators on those titles, how are you going to be, how are you involved in the, the, the projects? i take Robin War
20: and I'll take Batman and Robin No,
21: Eternal. I'm taking Batman and Robin well. <laughs> <laughs> Let me spoil the last issue.
4: Oh, an <laughs>
5: exclusive.
21: Uh, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, um, uh, Sealy's one of the showrunners on Eternal,
20: so let him talk. About um, so Batman and Eternal is a, sort of a celebration of the Robins because it's uh, the 75th anniversary of, of Robin... Uh, specifically Dick Grayson, but also the, all the legacy characters that have come from that. So this story is uh, about a mystery that involves Robbins. It's basically, um, without Batman, they can't confirm or have it denied this, this information they find out, so they have to discover it themselves. Um, so it brings in, Dick is the first character to sort of come into it, but it involves Harper Rowe and Tim Drake and, and Jason Todd. Um it's it's a, it's a globe hopping um, like paranoia thriller I think we're calling it. I think the first Batman Eternal is sort of about the the amount of uh, things that Batman can be and about all the genres Batman has always been and um, Batman Eternal Van Robin Eternal is about this very distinct very succinct story uh, and it's it's very much about you know what is the relationship of Batman and Robin and what is Batman's responsibility to the Robins. Um, and what is their responsibility to each other? So that's the kind of the story. And then you do Robin Wars. So.
21: Yeah. so then we're Robin Wars. If for people don't know, is a um, a five-issue, huge event crossover that we're doing in December. So it's going to be sort of like the, the the Christmas books of for the younger for the younger Gotham. So it'll be in Gotham Academy, uh, We Are Robin, and Son of Batman. And uh, and I mean, there's like deeper themes to it. Of course, it's it's all about the legacy of Robin, what it means to be a Robin. And I could go off on like the philosophical BS about it, but like mostly I want to get that this is going to be like a huge, super fun, like action adventure movie. Like this is my chance to write a bunch of Robins in a huge fight scene pushed to their limit and fighting back and and, and kicking some uh, tuchus
4: or is both of these books how much is it going to stay change the status quo of the batman universe once they're completed is it are you looking for like a real shake-up with these two things
20: well batman Eternal, batman and robin Eternal. i'm gonna have you so used to saying batman eternal that's yeah. gonna take me a while to put the and robin there but uh it's definitely uh, it sets up the books in the same way that batman eternal sort of launched catwoman into a new role and launched um you know spoiler into a new role and stuff this is also that for a new set of characters so it, it launches Cassandra Kane into a new role um it sets up Dick into a sort of different space after the end of the story so um yeah it's, it's definitely a big event book that's meant to do and explore all the corners and then give us new reasons to love these characters
4: so oh and do you have anything to say about
21: yeah, I mean there are big consequences that I'm insanely it excited kills about everybody. for Robin. Yeah. <laughs> Nine out of ten Robin wolves don't survive the Robin War. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, there's a huge uh, the, the modern day Bat Writers under Mark Doyle, who's our editor, mm-hmm. are sort of like what I imagined the Marvel bullpen was like, but probably wasn't. But in my head, it was that sort of like the, the guys who write those books: Brendan, Pat, um, uh, Becky and uh, and Lee are like my best friends in comics and so they have these huge plans for their characters and this this event is a way to help them get those plans started and 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 do amazing things so yeah there's big stuff coming right out of this
4: okay and you mentioned Cacaine a much beloved character What did it take for people to say, yes, we're going to bring her back? And also, how are we going to see her? Is it sort of like a Renee Montoya where she's been doing something, but it's the first time we're seeing her in this universe? Or is this just, bam, this is the first time that Cass Kane has been on the scene?
20: Um, Okay, let me think how this goes. It was easy to get her going into this book, but they wanted, if we're going to introduce Cassandra Cassandra Kane, it had to be because it was part of some big story, and this was the perfect means to do it, um, that it was a way to launch her, the way that I think we launched Spoiler in the first one. And then, uh, actually her sort of part in the DCEU and her history is so integral to the plot, I can't give it away for you, but she's definitely, um, this is as much a story about her as it is about Dick Grayson, I think. Okay,
4: Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, you rock, thank you. You guys rock. I knew at 1.30 I had to go to uh, a media session for Gotham. So I ended up staying there, uh, staying at the Temecula Room for a little bit just to upload the the audio for the interviews that I had. And Amanda Connor was done. She was just uh, talking with one of the PR people, the DC people. And uh, I wanted to get a picture with her, but it's one of those moments where you don't you don't want to be intrusive uh you don't know if it's an inappropriate moment so I ended up not asking her I started just let her go and and, and live her life but you know you just don't know and, and I don't know what what is proper and, and what is improper she wasn't I mean she wasn't busy or anything and, and I could have been very polite about asking but it's one of those things that I'm still sort of working out you know in my years that I go to San Diego I then went back to the Hilton Bayfront. There was the press event for Gotham. And uh, prior to it, I think, was um, Arrow. And then prior to that was Flash. And last year, actually, I snuck into the Flash one because it was right before Gotham. I just walked in like I owned the place. And, um, <laughs> and you know, took pictures of the people. But this year, it was actually more heavily guarded. But at the uh, press event, there was uh, Ben McKenzie, who plays Jim Gordon. Uh, Sean Pertwee, who plays Alfred, Robin Lord-Taylor, who plays Penguin, Aaron Richards, who is Barbara Keene, David Mazuz, who plays Bruce Wayne, Cameron Bikendova, who plays Selena Kyle, Corey Michael Smith is Riddler, Marina Bacarin is Leslie Tompkins, and then executive producers Bruno Heller, Danny Cannon, and John Stevens. Donald Logue was not there. We didn't get to talk to Aaron Richards or David or Corey Michael Smith. And, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes, unfortunately. Again, have audio for that, but you can actually listen to it as well as read the article that Josh will be putting up on the Batman universe. And I believe, hopefully, that he's actually going to be using the article for a... Gotham Chronicles exclusive episodes so you can stay tuned to that now there was there was some uncomfortable things that happened actually in that particular press event but I don't it's sort of not my story to tell I'm involved in the story but it's not really my story to tell so I don't think I will and I'll save it or I'll just wait and see if it pops up on the Gotham Chronicles special I keep wanting to, you know, Ben McKenzie went to the University of Virginia, and that is my alma mater, and each year, I'm like, trying to get up the courage to say to him, you know, I'm a fellow UVO, alum, and I was going to do it this year, at least I thought, but we actually didn't get the chance to interview him, so it didn't work out, alas. There was actually nothing that was going on that was supposed to end at 2.30, I think it, it went a little long, but... The next thing we had was at 8 p.m. And that was the uh, the DC tv panel. And last year, that's where they aired the Gotham pilot and the Flash pilot. And then later on, the Constantine pilot. So I was hoping that they were going to show Legends of Tomorrow pilot, maybe Vixen, and maybe um, the Supergirl pilot. And they actually had everyone in the panel. Again, we got an... Well, I shouldn't skip ahead. I shouldn't skip ahead. So basically, had about five hours between where we ended in that and coming up was supergirl and no one's checking id or anything so josh and i end up staying in and talking with uh supergirl creators and uh actors so we had the executive producer we had uh the actor playing hank henshaw we had Kara and alex her sister we had win shot and Jimmy Olsen so it was super fun and and you may be asking yourself why is the Batman universe there at a Supergirl panel and did I just sit silent but I actually asked questions and I think you know there are certain times where you have no expertise you should probably keep your, your mouth shut but I think that given what I've seen and it being female led which was something that like my first question was why is now the time to have a Supergirl TV series you know you're able to come up with some good questions. So that audio I don't have for you. However, I'm so sorry. There is some more audio coming up, I promise. But that one you should be able to actually check out because we we got that uh for Michael Bailey. So you should check out his uh Superman homepage. I believe is what it's called uh in order to hear that. I'm not sure when it will be up, but that is uh that is probably the place that you can look. So that was great. Then there was Vampire Diaries. We did get out for that since we are not affiliated with anything for that but right after was gonna be DC legends of tomorrow Josh is wondering hey are you gonna stay for that or are you gonna come back and it was either that or for me the DC Universe Upstarts panel Which I knew Brendan Fletcher was hosting And it was going to have you know Gotham Academy and Black Canary And Batgirl And basically those books that I really like So I decided I wasn't going to And I didn't know the chances that we were going to get in Because we'd have to flash our badge once again So I ended up going over there And Josh actually did get into the DC Legends As for that audio I don't even know what audio he has Nor do I know where it's going to go I do know that Victor Garber gave a shout out to Shag Matthews, the irredeemable Shag, thank you very much, who has guested on this show, of course. And uh, I think Shag probably fell in love with Josh at that moment. So there goes all of my hope for being a friend to Shag because Josh stole him from me. So never again will you hear Shag's dulcet tones on my podcast, probably. So then the three of us all came back together, Josh, Don, and I, and the wbdc tv uh panel with arrow flash gotham uh vixen there wasn't as much it just showed some clips of you know what this internet based show is going to be like and supergirl i don't think i'm missing anything i zombie was not there i think that's it i think that's it oh dc legends yeah the, the legends of tomorrow of course so Man, it started off with... uh, Well, Arrow, it was the trailer. It it showed sort of a flashback of what happened the previous season. Then there was another thing showing some snippets of what could happen. And then Stephen Amell actually came out on stage in his Arrow costume and said, you know, OH you have not failed the city. And uh, did this awesome thing. I have it... uh, have it recorded. You can check out, yeah, I have a lot of Hall H stuff that you can go on my YouTube. Backroll to Oracle is the handle there. Mostly intros and outros, actually. That arrow thing is on there. And there's fireworks that I did and uh, sort of a Cirque du Soleil thing that they did at this panel. If you want to see what was going on or who was there. And, uh, yeah, so he did that. Um, and then the panel came on. We asked some questions. Then they came off. Flash. What happened last year? What was going to happen? Uh, What is going to happen, like Jake Eric's coming and Zoom and everything. And then panel comes on, they talk to them, they showed a clip of Vixen, then Gotham, what had happened. Not as much, actually, because they only filled the, I I think they only filmed, they have like the first three episodes ready to go page-wise. I don't know how much they had filmed, so there really wasn't a lot to talk about. And then that panel came out. Then DC, Legends of Tomorrow, so sort of the the same thing. Uh, Supergirl, I think the only thing that was unexpected was they announced Maxwell Lord as, as being on the show, and then they, they brought the actor out, who is Carlisle in Twilight. But in case you don't know, because you don't watch Twilight, of course, is Peter Fascinelli. He's been in other things. Uh, I know him from Damages, actually, that uh, FX show with Glenn Close and Rose Byrne. But uh, he came out. he's being or he's going to be playing uh, Maxwell Lord, I think. I think that was it. Then they were going to show the Supergirl pilot, but before that, they had, they did have a Cirque du Soleil style. thing going on where each of the people actually represented a particular DC Comics person who's, so they were selling with wings, so of course she was probably Hawkgirl because Hawkgirl is in the Legends of Tomorrow. So, for example, like that, there's a Supergirl-esque person. So that was pretty interesting, and they certainly, they were doing things that, and and there were other people who were sort of doing tumbling and uh, stuff like that, in between panels or interrupting uh, our our master of ceremonies so yeah it was I, I think that they they're trying for for something new and, and I like that it wasn't just same old same old so that was great so Saturday came and went and then it's the last day and, and Saturday night is sort of when you start thinking to yourself you know where has the time gone and it's it's just sad because it's a whirlwind and it certainly pushes you, I think, and you just get excited and your heart gets invested in many things. And, and it's, you know, for me personally, it's when I'm doing these interviews, which is probably my favorite thing to do, you think to yourself, this is something that I could potentially, you know, do as an actual job. Yeah, you just get excited to be able to see the, the things that you really love and that, I mean, you're dedicating a part of your life too right i'm doing this podcast based on batgirl uh and then you gotta go and and you're with two friends for a great part of the day that you don't really see throughout the rest of the year because you live in other states and you know they're about to, to bid you adieu as well so you know that's just the bummer
0: Monsters, Digimon, are the champions. Digimon, Monsters, Digimon are the
5: champions. Change into ah. digital champions to save the digital world. <laughs> Digimon, digital Monsters, Digimon are the champions. Digimon, Monsters, Digimon are the champions.
4: Champions. Champions. On Sunday, uh, the only Dustin-mandated thing that we had to do was uh, the press event for the LEGO DC film, which is going to be Attack of the Legion of Doom, and the Batman Unlimited film, uh, which is uh, Monster Mayhem, and they were combined and for Lego DC, we had Troy Baker, Kari Payton, Josh Keaton, John DiMaggio, director Rick Morales, producer Brendan Vietti, and writer Jim Krieg. And then Batman Unlimited, Roger Craig Smith, Troy Baker again, Kari Payton again, Will L and Yuri Lowenthal, and the writer Heath Corson. And it was again roundtables, didn't get to talk to everyone, didn't get to talk to Kari Payton or the uh, creator, creative team for the Lego DC film. And didn't get to talk to Will Friedle either. I actually do have all of those audio clips with me. So you can listen to those. Uh, first up was Heath Corson, who is the writer of the Batman Unlimited Movies, because he did Animal Instincts as well.
22: Please excuse my voice. It no is really. the last day, and I have blown it the
23: heck out. I like your black canary. Thank That's you. That's awesome.
22: What can I do for you guys? How can I help?
23: Have you been doing a lot of just, like, press stuff all weekend long?
22: I've been doing a lot of press stuff all weekend long, both for this and the Bizarro uh, comic
23: book, which I'm writing for DC. Oh, Yeah. Can you tell us about uh, Batman Unlimited? I can.
22: Uh, Batman Unlimited Monster Mayhem is our second uh, movie in the Batman Unlimited series. It is a Joker story. Um, Have you guys seen the film yet? Uh, no, No. 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 All right, so basically what happens is... The Joker finds a computer virus, creates a computer virus to make all technology laugh. So, he disables all technology in Gotham, including Cyborg.
23: Okay.
22: So, all the technology now is turned against our heroes, so they have to go old school in order to stop the uh, Joker and his band of criminals. Cool.
6: Awesome.
22: Um, this is kind of based on the Laughing Fish uh, detective number 475, which I was like, oh, that might be fun. Like, what can the Joker figure out to kind of do in this one? And I was like, what if he made, because it also ties on our over-reliance of technology and I thought, what can I do to sort of wipe all that out and put us, put our guys behind the eight ball? Mm-hmm. So that's where that idea
24: came from.
4: Cool. This movie, as well as the previous one, very villain-focused. Very villain-focused. And they're very <laughs> an eclectic group. So how do you go about choosing the villains that you You
22: know what? I sat down with uh, Sam Register and Jay Bastion, who are my uh, executives on this, and Sam's the head of, the, uh, of animation, and we sort of bounced around, like, what's a fun group of villains? Like... Who have we never seen before? And he really liked the idea of having like a Halloween-themed group, like all the scary, scary guys. Um, So that sort of suggested Solomon Grundy, Clayface, Silver Banshee, and Scarecrow. And then I just love the idea of taking crazy villains and making them all have to work together. So when you see the movie, they're not great at working together. (laughs) So it's really fun, because they all argue and, and get one up on each other, and Even the plan sort of starts to fall apart because they're all crazy.
4: If you continue with this line of filming and the villains, are there any villains, like C-List or below, like Condiment King or anyone that you would really, <laughs> really love to bring? Uh, I have a special place in my heart for Killer Moth, so I'd love to see oh, him. Oh, yeah, sure. That would be
2: great.
22: That would be really... You know, Batman's got such a great rogues gallery. I'm a big Riddler mm-hmm. fan. I would love to have something with the Riddler as maybe the next one. Um, I would love to play with Killer... I, we got Killer Croc. I would love to bring Croc back. He's super fun for me because... Uh, Uh, I like writing like at least one big dumb guy Mm -hmm. you know so we have Grundy in this one and we have a lot of fun with Grundy Mad Hatter Um, Catwoman I would love to get to write Catwoman in one way or another put her on the hero's side um, or maybe portray them ooh writes itself (laughs) It's all happening.
23: So we have multiple people in this room that have voiced the Joker. John DiMaggio's done yeah. it. Yeah. Baker's done it. Yeah. How do you go about choosing who does what voice? You know what?
22: That's not my gig. Okay. I don't get to do that, but I was lucky enough to work with Troy on uh, Assault on Arkham, and he was my Joker, and he was fantastic. So it was just great to have him come back in this one. Cool. Yeah. What so now else? that the
25: second one's in the can, are you working on a third one?
22: Um, I can't talk about that. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um... But I really hope we get a chance to continue with this series because I think it's a really fun version of Batman and it's nice to be able to do something for a younger audience. Like, I truly believe every audience should have their own version of Batman, right? Like, when I was growing up, there was a, a Batman comic that I could read that was okay for kids. Like, now they're too dark. My sister called me and said, I have two nephews, seven and nine. And they know that I write animation, and they're like, "When are you going to write something that my kids can actually see?" So I was so excited to be like, "This is a Batman for all ages." Um, so that was really exciting to get to do.
25: So you mentioned that you're when you were a young, there was a like, Batman comic that you could read. Do you yeah. think there'll be a, will there be a, any talks about adapting this for in the comic book form? Um, not that I've heard, but I would love to write this comic book. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, that'd be great. Um,
22: and you know what? No, I don't think there is, like, a, a younger age's Batman comic on the I don't stands think there right is. now. I don't think there is. Yeah. It's a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to go talk to them about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going like, to say, let me do that.
25: Yeah, My daughter's at an age right now where she's starting to read comic books, and there's no Batman out there that I right. would want her to read. Yeah. Like, the selection of DC heroes is, like, very limited. I know.
22: Well, Bizarro's an all-ages book, and yeah. the new Batman is an all-ages book, but you're right. Like, where are these big... These big temple characters for younger audiences. Yeah, I think you're right. I
23: would I would love to, I would love to, to, I, would love to I would love to get a chance to write that stuff. So when going for a younger audience, how do you shape Batman's Because I used to like Christian Bale's Batman's like super violent. Sure. In the comics obviously as we said, you know, he'll do pretty much anything except kill people. Like how do you make him Batman like what do you what are the guidelines you set for a you younger Batman? You know what? He's still gotta
22: be Batman. Mm-hmm. He's still gotta be awesome. Mm-hmm. He's still gotta kick butt.
23: Yeah, yeah. Like he's
22: always gonna be Batman. So you wanna boil these characters down to just their core. Mm-hmm. And then build up there. And, okay. and we get a little bit more fun than they have in some of the stuff. You know, this group of guys, I love writing for them because they just, they can bring this stuff to life. And I, you know, everybody can have a laugh except Batman. Yeah. So all the other characters can kind of bump up against each other. and But Batman's always Batman. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's really just. Boiling it down to the core and then mm. building up from there, okay. you know, but making sure you retain like who these guys are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were really lucky to get to add Cyborg
23: this time yes, and yes. and Hikari. He's so dedicated to the character. Like, who is
22: my Cyborg? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, when
23: I think of Cyborg, I'm like, that's the voice of Cyborg. Yeah. When I was uh, like watching Injustice videos, I'm like, is that the, guy, the same one from Teen Titans? That's I'm like, right. Oh, so he's just like he is Cyborg. He's Cyborg. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's just like. You know, yeah, so great. yeah, so
4: yeah. With your cast, very grounded. The first one, the only super was really flash. Yeah. Brought in Cyborg. Is this something you want to do with having the Batman family and Green Arrow, and sort of
5: rotate in some superpowers?
22: I think that's one of the ideas that we really like. That idea. I, you know, when you play with the Bat family, you don't want to make it too powerful. You know, you don't want to over uh, balance it. Right. So, but uh, a Cyborg's great addition, especially when you're talking about technology. And if we're talking about our over-reliance on technology, Cyborg's a really interesting guy to bring in there because that's something that he sort of personifies. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of bringing in like different heroes along with the Bat family and rotating them in and out.
23: Cool. Did you have a screening of this? Uh, this is the screening. Oh, this is the screening. Okay, screening's cool. today. Have you seen, have, like, there been any fan reactions to it or anything? Not that I've seen. I'm okay. super
22: excited. Right. I, I mean, I, I, I had a, screen, I had a, a screener, mm. and I showed it. Uh, a, a, my my wife's friend mm-hmm. has a couple of kids staying with us, so we watched it with them, and they were super into it. Nice, so nice. that's been my test focus.
23: Cool. Have you, have you, like, how have you made it bigger from, like, differentiating from the first one? It gets a lot bigger because
22: the Joker takes over all the technology in Gotham and then gets ready to take over the entire world. So you'll see it escalates really quickly. Uh, And I like this version of the Joker. It's various... I I always said that I wanted the Batman Unlimiteds to feel very Silver Age. I wanted them to have that sort of like grit and fun. Um, This version of the Joker is the Wheeler Dealer. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the Joker really his power is that he can make a whole bunch of other people do stuff for him. Yeah. So he kidnaps scientists. He makes these guys with powers like his henchmen. Like he's not really doing anything except making everybody else do it he's just sitting up and it's great it's so much fun I really like that version of the Joker who like gets to go around and he's like I wanted this and I'm gonna make you do it and I was like that's funny awesome yeah cool. he's a showman yeah 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 cool you know
24: he's a game show host Yes. Yeah, yeah
4: do you have any interest in showing the private lives of, of the Batman family, because we see Bruce outside the costume a little bit, him and Ollie, uh-huh. not as much uh, Tim and Dick. Do you have any interest in pursuing that? And yeah, you- I
22: would love it. I would love to jump in there. Uh, we get another um, big Bruce Wayne party okay. in this one, uh, which actually the whole crew is at this time. It is a, a Black Tie Museum Gala, okay. so we'll get to see everybody in their normal um, uh Outfits as well and their secret identities um, you know it's, it's a lot of fun to see these guys bounce off each other whether they're in costume or whether they're not like I love that moment in the first one where they're both at the where Ollie and Bruce are both at the same thing and they're like oh we're billionaires hi oh look we're friends hey any word on our guy so you get like where their head's at like their head's is, is always at we gotta stop crying which is really cool, you know, even though they're supposed to be, hey, we're in the billionaire bad boy club. It's, that's really cool. Guys, thank you guys so yes, much. Thank you so and much. Thanks right. for putting up with my voice no, today. It's fine. No, Thank you. For oh, it's day you know, five. For it, so, yeah. Thank you. Oh, it's the awesome. last one, though. So. It was very nice talking with so you. So nice talking yeah, to yeah. you guys. Thanks thank so you. much.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Then there was Troy Baker, who plays Joker in the Batman Unlimited film but Batman in the Wago DC film.
16: Hello. How's it going? Man, it's good. <laughs> These, I, I feel, man, this is what's so weird. That has like context and like a setting it makes sense There's a framework for it. That feels so good for me, but I'm way more comfortable with this, which is far more intimate. Yeah, just hang it out. Yeah. Yeah. Even I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. Do you remember iPhone, when we didn't oh have God. these? <laughs> iPhone every once, I was about funny. to say, every once in a while, I won't get that one. I'll get, like, the old school, like, the guy had to put a tape. And I was like, <laughs> let me see your credentials real quick. <laughs> I want to make sure.
3: Or he's been doing it a long time. There's yeah. been,
16: I, I've, I've done one of these before where the guy literally had an iPod. No microphone. Just iPod. Just ask questions. and went... Is this? You well, what's happening? Because there's literally no apparatus for yeah. which to record what I just said. He's like, "Can hey, feel that?" we mm-hmm. <laughs> play along. Um, He's one of the guys that has like the cardboard cutout. He gets inside the TV today and the weather. You know? <laughs> anyway, so we how's go, your con going, dude? So let me tell you this: When this is my fifth Comic Con in a row, okay. So five years ago, going, bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. And it's always insane. It's always bigger than last year. And at the end of it, you're like, I'm done. I'm not doing it. Yep. anything. And that's the way that I was. Even then I was like, I can't believe. I just got back from, uh, from London and Ireland like, two days ago. So I'm like, I'm just blasted. I'm done.
23: Did you do E3 as well?
16: Yes. Yeah. So the- from June to July, on, and now almost into August, you're on the road, you know, <laughs> exactly. and, and you're on constantly and in between that you're trying to fit in like work, you know, mm-hmm. that you have to do, but what's so funny is you get down here and then you realize this is why I keep coming back yep. and yep. to me it's, it's still the coolest community in the world, um, the true nerds, not the tourists, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, I'm super nerdy. <laughs> no, you're not. Just because you wear, you know, Chuck Taylors and have like big rimmed glasses, you are not a nerd. And The Batman bad logo. Yeah, show me your nerd. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what comic are you into? Mm-hmm. What game are you watching? Do you like, do you like Lego? You know, exactly. Show me your nerd. Um, if you've never rolled a seven-sided die, get away from <laughs> me. I don't know who you are. But it's um, when you do find those people that that this is their community. That this is what they're into. Mm-hmm. Those. First of all, we are the people that will survive a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So, yep. because we've been, it's not a speculation or a hypothetical. It's just been preparing. So, LARPers are like, I'm ready. This is nowhere near on topic. Yeah. But I just wanted to. <laughs> well, it's cool to talk. I just want to let you know. Maybe this is why I'm comfortable sitting down yeah. with a room full of strangers and talking about me making funny sounds in a booth
5: mm-hmm. Crazy. I have a question about your Joker.
16: Now, see what she did.
5: <laughs> oh, oh, I it back
16: we were spiraling out of here. <laughs> And she's like, new horizons, there's Pluto! What? <laughs> um, what about Joker?
3: Okay, so you've done the, I guess, the quintessential Joker, Joker Tales, where you've done, uh, saw on Arkham, right. and of course the video game, right. and now we've got more kid-friendly. Right. So did you make this Joker at all distinct, or did you just sort of go in the you same know, place? As you, you,
9: as
16: you always know. want to feel like, first of all, one of the greatest things that I've, a uh, compliment I've been given is people are like, was that Mark or was that Troy? And I'm like, oh, dude, that's all I could ever asked for. You know, and, and Mark's work stands, you know, heads and shoulders above anybody's. Um, there's been no one that has held onto a role longer than him, and more rightfully so. Um, he is the king, and I am just his squire. You know, he's, he's the one slaying dragons, and I'm the one just polishing the armor. Um... But for this specifically, you know, for we needed to make sure that what we did in Origins fit within the Arkham universe. So it's obviously going to be a little bit darker. Um, if we do something like Suicide Squad, that to me was them testing the waters to see how far they could take one of those movies. Because Under the Red Hood was super dark. And then Dark Knight Returns was really dark. And then for this one, they were like, can we
20: have a, we
16: have a sex scene? Maybe, maybe see what happens <laughs> with that. So, um... The assault on Arkham was like super, and there were incredible lines that like the whole, oh, Denzel, what have they done to you? No idea that was going to work. Um, and then you come into something like this where it's like, do you remember when you came home from school and you were watching, whether it be Justice League you know, or, or Super Friends or whatever, that's, that's the way we kind of want to make this feel. Bring, bring that Bring that into what kids are watching these days. Um, and I think kids are a lot more savvy, so you can't play super down to them. You know, you can't have, like, an ice cream robot, you know, mm-hmm. destroying the world. Um, so it's, it still needs to feel like the same character, but at the same time, it's like, don't take yourself that seriously. You know, let yourself have some levity moments. And so it's almost more like a Cesar Romero, kind of Joker, um, but still in, inside the skin of, of what Hamill has done for the last two decades. It's a really long answer to that question. It's a good
5: answer.
3: It's
16: a, it's answer. a great question. So... All of them should be that good. Both
3: Joker, uh so both Joker and Batman, like, what is it like to kind of get in that headspace and switch back and forth? Because they're very, obviously.
16: I'm very, very um, fortunate. Um, I think Roger had a harder time with his Batman than I did um, because, like, with Lego, all bets are off. You know, you, you have the ability to pull, you know, jokes and, like, head nods and tipping of the hat to 75 years' worth of, of history within the Batman franchise, predominantly what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the movies, you know, and different things, the comic books, where people are like, ah, I see what you did there. But really, Lego Batman just has to be like this anchor that is just slowing everybody down as everyone's actually trying to move very frenetically around him. Um, Superman, to me, is one of the funniest. Kari cracks me up constantly. to me, he's, it's really just him doing Kari. Um, but I think he's absolutely hilarious and it's written so well. So, I mean, like, Brandon and everyone at the team know what they're doing with this. And when you go to the games, with TT games, they've been doing this for a long time. So they know what works, they know what doesn't work. So, again, it just comes down to trust. It's like, I have an idea about this character. Fantastic. We know what, we know how to make these games. We trust us. Um, so I, like, especially looking around, like, the LEGO Dimensions game and, and the stuff that we did on Beyond Gotham, um, it's really really funny stuff it's like that's good writing like if you put that on a sitcom on any show you'd be like applause way to go um, so to be able to flip-flop back and forth the reason why I say that is a very my job was easier in playing the Joker because fortunately I got to um, make you feel like this is a younger version of a character you've been very very familiar with as opposed to doing like what Johnny DiMaggio had to do which is like completely create a new iteration of this character that everybody was so familiar with. Um, so I think sometimes that's more of a challenge when you have, like, framework to work within, and you're like, okay, so basically in Lego I'm going to be the Dean Martin and everybody else is going to be like a Jerry Lewis just moving around me. I like that he got that reference and everybody else has no idea what I'm talking about. Right. There we go, okay. It's not really about, you know, that. Uh, but then also with Joker, it's like, Stay within this, and other people now can can do their own iteration, their own version of it. You don't have to do that, but it to me it just shows the strength of the characters and the strength of the franchise. Again, it's been almost almost a century, a four, you know, three quarters of a century. You're not going to be the thing that's going to take it down. So just trust the writing, trust your team, and trust that you know you got the job. So just do the job. Thanks. You
25: work on uh, did you do the voice for Batman for Lego Dimensions? Yes. How was it working with Will Arnett?
16: So have you seen the demo that's on the floor? Yeah. Okay. Did you see that part? Yeah. Okay. I, I was so grateful that they did that. Because I understand a, a lot of times how films work, you are like, we need, we need this. And I think Will Arnett did a bang-up job. Yeah. But what was cool is that it was a different Batman. Even within the Lego universe, it's still a different guy. Yeah. Um, and I holy spoiler whatever I love the fact that he's in there so we get to have that back and forth which is, which is great and it, to me it was a huge compliment you're like you're our Batman he's our Batman you're both pretty go away <laughs> you know
25: earlier you mentioned uh, TT Games yeah. and how they've made all the Lego video games yeah. and all that uh, were they involved in the production of, of the special the Lego Justice special
16: they always are you know, you've got different teams because while they're gearing up for, you know, doing dimensions, while they're doing this, this other team is working on this, and then you've got the, you know, direct-to-DVD people that are working on this. So everybody's working around the clock to make this. Um, so I'll meet new friends on every different project that we work on, and somewhere back in the back they're all working towards a common goal. But yeah, like with this, uh, with like the with Lego movies, I'm working with like Brandon Vietti and those guys. Um, and then if it's working on the dimensions or whatever, it's gonna be like John Burton or you know Arthur Parsons or one of those guys. Um, but everyone is working towards the same common goal, which is making this feel like you can watch it, you can play it, you can go to the theater and see it, and everything else is just this huge, <laughs> huge thing that's taking over the world. <laughs> it kind of is, you know? And I'm okay with that. I, I like Lego. There you go. Well, I was 40 years old I still play with Lego.
25: Yeah, they've definitely expanded beyond just a toy company in just a short yeah. amount of time.
16: Yeah, and to me it's because if you if you give somebody the ability to create something, but that you don't just let them go whatever you want to make. You say, do you want to build this? Everybody, went, like, when I was a kid, it was like everybody wanted to build the death Star. <laughs> But do you remember that Lego camp you could build the Death Star? And you're like, I'm going to build that. I'm going to put it in my room. I'm going to hang it from my ceiling. And I'm going to have Luke Skywalker fly around it. It was almost impossible. It was almost impossible because it was all gray with a little bit of black. And normally, like, you build a house. It's like the, house, the roof is red, but then the house is yellow. And you get, like, it's easy enough to do this. It was, like, a million pieces. And... Not a lot of people. I wish they had done like the broken Death Star. That would have been yeah, way a lot easier, easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but I think when you say you give, especially kids, aspirations, and then you equip them with the tools that they need to achieve it, that's just good life training, you know. And again, with Lego, you are able to take maybe not necessarily the most accessible franchises. And, like, I was talking to somebody yesterday, when they were talking about uh, his daughter who's, like, 9 or 10 or whatever. was like, what's Back to the Future? And he goes, oh, I know what we're doing this weekend. You know, and so you get to introduce, you know, things that are 20, 30 years, almost 40 years now. Like, look at Doctor Who. We get to introduce a whole new generation to Doctor Who that may not know about it. It's like, oh, you mean that show that's on the BBC? Back up. Let me tell you the history and how many doctors there have been. So it's to me, it's such a great gateway into some of the greatest franchises I think we've ever had, and the, it's, we started laughing about it in Dimensions because it started getting so over the top. I'm like, wait a minute, you're bringing in that, <laughs> um, but again, that just that speaks to Lego and a team that's really just committed to giving a full proffering of of fun and entertainment and creativity and then letting you kind of run with it and see what you do with it. So. do you
4: have any favorite lines or moments from either of
16: the films you know I'm so bad at this because you would think at this point I would like have one of those in the chamber um, and no and what's funny is a lot of times it's not my line it's going to be somebody else's again every time Kari speaks I laugh
5: um,
16: and there's some within things that I don't want to ruin for you um, which is again as like totally shady as like we'll see when you see you know but there's literally stuff that I'm like I, I, I don't know if I can see what's in there um, but again it's just it's stuff that makes me laugh and there was a I just finished playing the, the episode 3 of uh, Tales from the Borderlands and I literally I was on a plane and literally laughed out loud so if, if I can do that that to me is like the ultimate litmus test of you did your job like if you can make yourself laugh or if you're a part of, of a scene or whatever that that makes you go Oh, you did your job because that is you being able to transcend the knowledge that you know this is how they did this and I remember when we recorded this and everything else and that's what we try to do here, especially within the Lego universe. It's like make something that you're going to be proud of, and make something that's going to make you laugh. Make something that's going to make you be forget that you were a part of this. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome, awesome, guys. Thank you so Thank much. You. Cheers.
4: Josh Keaton, who plays Green Lantern in the Lego DC film. Green Lantern
6: in the Lego Justice League uh, Attack Legion. Okay, cool, awesome. So, is this your first time
23: doing uh, Green Lantern?
6: No, no. I was Green. I was Hal in Green Lantern in the animated series, okay, perfect. and uh, and some other Lego stuff. Cool. How's it feel to like how do you shape the character so and make, make it your own? Well, it's uh, honestly. For the for the show, I read the comics because I wasn't really familiar with Green Lantern when I first booked the role. Um, so I really did my research and, and read a bunch of uh, a bunch of Jeff John stuff and and, and really kind of solidified it from there. And then for Lego, I would say that I wanted to make him a little more fun and play up the fun aspects of his personality a bit more because it's Lego. You're allowed to be a bit sillier and and you know real military button down how probably isn't gonna fly in that. Um, well, he'd fly, but that's... <laughs> uh, so, I kind of wanted the cockiness to be dialed up, the uh, the, the friendly ribbing to be dialed up, and, and, and thankfully I have The Flash there, who, you know, they kind of have like this little friendly rivalry, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so it was really fun to be able to, to play that up and, and really be able to, to see them kind of go at it and, uh, and butt heads in a fun way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that, if anything, I took a little bit of... It took a little bit of Guy Gardner's personality and mixed it in town for uh, for the Lego movie. because yeah. uh, he's he's gotta be
26: he's gotta be a little bit more evidence. So yeah. So you voiced him in the previous Lego game, yes. Lego Batman 3. Yes. And this is a film. Yeah. If you're voicing the same character, are there any differences in like how the approach of production is in terms of like the same continu- kind of like continuity or universe but different
6: mediums? I would normally say yes. But in, this, in, th- in that particular game, no, because they actually recorded the cinematic sequences of that game the same way that we would record uh, an animated movie. They had us all in, uh, the, sta- in the studio, uh, kind of in the round, and we were doing, like, radio play style, the same way that we would record a movie uh, or, or an animated series. Usually when it's a video game, you go in there by yourself, and you have, like, it used to be, like, a ton of, a ton of printed out... Copy, but now it's it's an Excel spreadsheet on a monitor, and they just kind of scroll through your lines, and you don't have a lot of context, and you're just kind of recording them. But with this, you go in, everybody's there, you go through it, and uh, I, I like it that way a lot better. I feel like there's much there's much more uh, of an energy between the cast. You can you can interplay off of everybody else. Like when you're recording by yourself, you kind of have to imagine how you how you think the other person would perform opposite you. So. When you're actually in the situation, they could throw something totally different than you expected. And when you roll with that, that's that's where those moments come from that everybody likes to watch because they're the unexpected ones. So I love recording them that And we got to do that for the Lego movie as well, or for the Lego game as well.
26: So and you, play, you, you played Spider Man it's Spectacular yes. Spider Man. Yes. Then you voiced in a couple of video games, yes. like Marvel's Scott 3. Uh, you played really an animated series, and you're playing these games. So I imagine that you enjoyed repeating these characters over the again. Are there any other sort of venues you'd like to do, maybe like an audio play or maybe a continuation of those characters in different forms? Like, do you like those characters that much? Or do you I do, like do them actually. Them like,
6: Spider-Man was, is my favorite character that I've ever played um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm really, I'm very partial to the character. It was the, the comic that I grew up reading. I would read it all the time. I felt like I had like, a personal connection to him because um, I, was a, I was a very unpopular dork in high school. I was, uh, I was the guy that was like, transitioning the yearbook staff to, to the computers because they were doing it the old school way where they actually had to like cut stuff out, like old layout. So I was the guy that was, that was hooking up the computers. And you know, I wasn't popular. I didn't really have any friends in high school. But on the whole other side of it, um, I was still acting. Well, I was acting back then as well. So among that group of friends, I didn't kind of have the stigma of being this unpopular kid. Like I was just normal there. So it's like, that was my Spider-Man life, and this was my Peter Parker life, and I was two very different people, but living the same life. So um, I love playing that, and uh, one of the things that I just did for for fans, they were well, these uh, image macros, the Spider-Man meme, the 60s Spider-Man meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I basically took the ones that I thought were the funniest, and I read them in character, and just kind of strung together a little slideshow, and some of them, you know, are are naughty you know like they got they got some of the the, i bleeped out all the curse words so they're not too bad but uh i think i think everybody likes likes the idea of of hearing spidey curse when when something bad happens and all that so uh those are up on youtube spectacular spider memes Uh, yeah i think that's that's probably about as close as i got to to kind of still recreating that character after the fact are
26: there any other uh these these movies have so many heroes in Are there any characters that you like? You like to crack at that you put, uh, put
6: right here? Um, I think that I think that the logical switch from Spider-Man would probably be to Deadpool. Um, he's just way more out there. Uh, that would be a fun one to try. I love what Nolan's doing with it though, and and I mean he's still doing it, so that's. Uh, I, I kind of just want to watch. I just want to listen to Nolan do it. Um, it's funny because like a lot of the ones that I want to try are ones that are already kind of played by good friends of mine and they're doing such a good job that I'm like, where do I really step in and take that over? You know? It's like, like, I would have to totally reimagine it and then it might not be the same thing. And, you know, Steve Bloom is always going to be Wolverine to me, but Wolverine is my other favorite comic character. So I'd love to eventually get a stab at that. Um, when I have this grown out, I actually kind of look like him. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's fun. Uh, yeah, I'd say those would probably be, be two of the ones that I'd, that I'd like to take a crack at. And then I'd, I'd probably like to look at some more obscure ones, too. Um, like, uh, if, they ever, if they ever did... Uh, if I ever came back in Spider-Man not as Spider-Man, I'd like to be the spot. You know, Alright. Like, that
26: would be a cool one. It'd be cool but uh, yeah, it'd be some fun ones. Um, and now that you've been playing Green Lantern for a while uh, in anime series and like in a video game form as well as uh, uh, in movie, based on the video game, do you think because you're a comic fan, do you think you ever like to see yourself part try to create
12: material for your voice?
6: Sure, sure. Sort of, like, um, that's uh, that's something that I've that I've thought about a lot. Um, at this point, it's just been a time thing. Mm-hmm getting the time to actually sit down and create stuff but yeah creating more content is definitely on my on my radar I definitely want because it's so much easier now and you can just put it up on YouTube and, and be done with it so and I have a bunch of friends that you know that, that would love to get in on it as well and I mean that's that's just fun stuff you always got to keep busy. Is
25: there a history of playing Lego Hal Jordan? Yes. I'm curious why you didn't play it in the Lego movie? said um, it went to Jonah Hill. I, well, because my name's not Jonah Hill.
6: <laughs> like when it's when it's for big when it's for big screen, they always right. tend to get bigger bigger names because they want the box office draw. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's a little bit of a bummer, that's it's, like, you know, it's yeah. it is it is what it is.
25: Yeah, I mean Jonah had such a I mean his role in that movie was kind of minor. It was sure. definitely funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's just interesting that. Were you approached at, no, no, no. at all? No. Not at all.
23: Sorry to hear that. It's <laughs> all good, man. It's all good. Are you uh, in uh, LEGO Dimensions?
6: Are I, doing... You know what? I can't even remember. <laughs> because I've done other work on LEGO things and, and, and the thing is, is that when you go in and do the session, so much time passes between the time that you do the session and the time that, that you're actually, the thing gets released. that. You kind of forget, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you'll go in, you'll do work on it for a day. I might be in it or something, but I can't. I can't remember.
4: John DiMaggio, who plays Lex Luthor and Joker in the Wego DC film.
23: How's it going?
24: It's going okay. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Yeah. How's your COVID? Uh, um, it's been, yeah. You know these things. They get, you know, it's it's hard to not you know you want to stay fresh and have a fresh approach to the convention but it it it's just so manic and there's so many people and yeah it's just it's just crazy so just managing that and plus I'm getting older and it's getting harder to harder to do it you know harder to be like oh everybody's going out tonight and no, no, just, yeah yeah forget it going home and going to bed. Mm So
4: you're playing two different villains.
24: Two different villains. Big villains.
4: Yeah, so I know it's important as an artist to uh, be able to play off of other people, so what's it like to not have another half playing at the same time?
24: That's when your schizophrenia really kicks in. (laughs) Um, uh, But it's okay because you're paid for it. So... (laughs) It's... uh, No, listen, it's... It's one of those things where it's not like, you know, I'm not, like, switching off into, I mean, different voices. I mean, I could if I had to, but, um, you know, when you're playing off yourself, it's it's just like you're, you're playing off against somebody else anyway because a lot of the time w- within a booth, if you're in an ensemble record, you don't want to overlap vocally. You want the takes to be clean, and, and you want a place where the editor can come in and go, yeah, we separate that. And if they want to have them loop over each other uh, they'll, they'll do that in the edit um, so so to have that moment to make that change if you have to play off yourself um, you just take you would take the moment that you would after somebody else's line so there's time to think about it and it's not like you don't have to rush into it um, so I mean unless you're reading it live on stage then you have to do that but but you know, when you're recording you have the you have the time and the luxury to, to, to you know, to be able to take that moment and change up, go into one thing and then do the other and so yeah. But yeah, I mean I mean in this on this in the same breath I've seen Billy West when I did Futurama do three pages of dialogue by himself. So some people can some people can do it, some people can't, but most most of us kinda if we got a bunch of wacky voices in the chamber and we can kind of do that
26: Um, so you're
24: the Joker the Joker for a little bit but mostly Lex Luthor which do you
26: prefer
24: you've been the Joker before I've been the Joker before the Joker that I played before would not be in this film (laughs) I was a great Joker by the way thank you very much much I appreciate that. that I was very worried they were like oh can you be the Joker again I was like so know, yeah, I was like, you don't. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is the Joker you want in here. Um, but but uh, but Lex Luthor was a lot of fun to play, um, and yeah, it, it's 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 really great to, to be able to play these iconic villains, you know, these, these iconic comic book villains. It's just a lot of fun and uh, pretty fortunate.
26: How did you approach Luthor? Was it like sort of like the mad scientist or like the the, the genius, subtle billionaire
24: kind of character? How did you approach him? Um, You know. You get a character bible, you get a character design, they show you what he looks like and then you, you kind of throw some stuff out there to see what they like, see what the tone they want uh, and then you go from there, it's, you know, listen, I bring my skills to the table, they bring what they want to the table and we figure out what kind of a compromise we can make or if I can just give them outright what they want um, and that's usually it and, uh, and so that's pretty much what happened and, and, and we rolled from there it, it's you know it's a, it's a team effort trying to, to make this what everybody wants so I, I just kind of went ahead and said well let's try this and they were like okay that sounds good tweak this and I was like, okay you know and that's, that's really the approach you know you have to be able to say yes and 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 also leave something leave a choice behind like don't marry yourself to to these choices that you make because you might have to change them on the spot when they go we don't like that. And if you and if you if you sell yourself short and invest, put all your eggs in that basket and then you got nothing to go with, you know, on the fly.
26: And, and additionally and addition playing Luke, uh, Joker before and Joker now as well as Lugo, you play Aquaman and Freeman Bowl. Yes. Have you grown partial to the DC universe?
24: Um, I, I've grown partial to whoever is helping me pay my mortgage. <laughs> um, I don't particularly have a uh, have an allegiance to any any to to either comic book or uh, you know comic book company. Uh, I just love the work, and if they want me to come in and play, I am happy to uh, any day of the week. Um, and and um, you know, I I kind of I kind of love it all. You know, it's it's great stuff, and and and. You know, everybody has their favorite, and 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 that's that's the way it is. You know, you can't like, you know. I guess I guess yeah. I hope I've answered that question. Do you have one
5: particular role you were
25: proud of, or yeah, um, you, you would refer back to, and was your
24: favorite? I mean, like, yeah. Well, Bender. I mean, certainly oh, yes. was a. Was a big deal for me, and uh, and a lot of people love it. And and Jake the Dog, I mean, Adventure Time is just exploding with popularity, and you know it's pretty wild to be associated with two like big cult hits, like you know like those shows, um, and the, and the critical acclaim that comes with them. Um, it's just I've, I've been really I've been really fortunate to to be associated with. You know a lot of really amazing people um, that have lifted my game you know through the roof like you know you you are the company you keep and uh, when you're with people like that you, you tend to just you know you tend to let let it all go and, and, and magic happens so I'd say yeah I mean I'd say Bender really because you know, it, it, that gig opened the doors for me for a lot of a lot of people put me on the map if you will
3: But notice there's like zero women right among all the voiceover actors, writers. Do you think that's because there's, in this room anyway, there's not enough enough. female characters? Yeah. There's not enough. There's
24: not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. And and there should be. Um, I really want to see what happens with this Wonder Woman stuff, like, because it's really important. And the Supergirl stuff, like it's it's really important for women. Women love these characters just as much as men do, and and, and girls do. And you know, I mean, it, it it's they, There needs to be more parts for women. That's all. Straight up, straight up. I'm with you. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's it, it's and it's and we're the most unusual. Like, you know. Boys' party, if you will, like because, you know, we're like, where's the, where's Gray? Like where's like you know where are, where are our, our vo peeps to come in and and balance this out, you know? But the characters aren't there, but they're coming though. Yeah. They're coming because you know w- women are women are down for this. Women are starting to create, you know, stuff. Uh, 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 the content is coming, um, and when that happens, it'll be a good day.
26: A very popular voice, actually. You can have any sway and type some bits and higher ups. They don't <laughs> listen to me. No, <laughs>
24: they don't listen to me at all. What? Okay. Tag out. Thank you Thank you, everybody.
4: Yuri Lowenthal, who plays Red Robin in the Batman Unlimited film.
24: Also starring in a new version of Batman with where they have the mutants. Right,
22: right.
5: Definitely. That's, that's dark. That's Dark Knight. Dark, 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 dark
23: How are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. So you can tell us about the uh, the yeah the project here.
27: Yeah, I'm I play Red Robin on Batman Unlimited, and uh, as with every DC thing that I do. It's okay. every time i get to check check one of those characters off my little nerd actor uh um, no, is a good day for me who else is on that list that you uh, haven't done yet you know it's 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 funny i the i've done a lot now but uh, i always have on that list there there are two characters i always have whenever the auditions come up i always read for it and i always know that i'm never going to get it because it's not it's it's not you know it's not in my voice yeah. and those and those are batman and the joker I have always auditioned, because I, I feel I feel a moral imperative to do it. It's because I, I love those characters so much. But uh, but I, the, I, I think they'd have to change the design or the concept a lot or the world that they live in for me to to, to, to get to that point. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. You never know. I mean, they got John to do the job, but I would have never imagined him to do that voice. That's from, like, true, and he mm-hmm. killed it. Yeah, Red yeah, Hood. Exactly. yeah, he's so good in that. So good. So
5: yeah.
27: It could be there. Yeah, one of these days, one of these well, you'll go back to this interview where I said I'd never do it, and then I get to do it. Now,
26: correct me if I'm wrong, but you played
27: Robin before, right? Um, I don't. No, this is the first time I've played. Unless, unless you've got a better memory than me, which is entirely possible. Were you even
26: static?
27: Uh, no, I was not human okay. static. Okay. Um, I think this is my this is my first Robin. I've gotten to play. I've gotten to play Superman, which, uh, you know, also once upon a time I might not have said uh, that I'd be able to do. Um, uh, Mr. Miracle, Lagoon Boy on uh, on uh, um, uh, Young Justice, uh, Icicle Junior. on Young Justice. I got to play uh, in one of the DC movies. I got to play Jor El and Jimmy Olsen um, in the same th- in, you know in the same movie. Right, exactly. Which is which is why I love. I mean, I love voice acting, and I love this you know being able to play in this world because because you can play those characters. You know if you can. If you sound like whatever they have in mind for that character, you can be that. Even if I don't look like that character, <laughs> and that's the you know when I when I'm doing on camera stuff, I play generally this guy, usually minus the mohawk. And uh, but you know, voice acting opens up so many different things for for an actor. I mean, it's a great equalizer. In, 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 in so,
26: what is it like playing Robin in this movie? Or I Red love Robin it. I love it.
27: Like I said, you know, I love I love playing iconic characters, and to finally get to play Robin, especially to Rogers Batman, because I I love Roger as a person. And uh, it, it, it can be difficult for poor Wes Gleason, the, um, the, the director, the, the voice director for the project, because when you get people like me and Roger and Will Fidel and <laughs> Dave B. Mitchell, you know, in, in a room, it doesn't always, you know, I mean, it, we goof off a little bit because we can't help it because we, we love each other so much and it's so much fun and, and so more often than not when we're doing this kind of work, we're solo, you know, like in a closet with a microphone basically. And to get other actors in the room is always just so much fun. I'm a big That's
19: fan good. of yours from Ben 10. So yes. Thank you. So the first
3: movie, Red Robin was a bit of a rookie. He made some mistakes. Yeah. Is there more development in the character, and is he starting to learn the ropes a little bit more in the second film?
27: Yeah, I would say that he's he's. A, I don't know that I'd say he's, he's more grown up because I don't know that he is. He's still a goofball, and he still is, doesn't always listen to what Batman says or does what Batman tells him. Uh, but I would say he's starting to get a little more on point. And I love the, the, the sort of antagonistic but fun, you know, fun antagonism relationship that he's, he's developing with Nightwing, too. Because, you know, obviously there's, there's got to be some tension there, you know, with all the, all the many Robins that are out there. And Robins that used to be Robins, and Robins that are no longer Robins, and Robins that are kind of Robins, um, <laughs> yep. which I had to bone up on uh, the for the first uh, the first Batman Unlimited movie because when I was reading those comics, I wasn't really reading a lot of Batman stuff. When they did the whole and Robin, and then there's you know, the Jace Blood and the Tim Drake and the, you know Grayson, all all that, I, I I missed out on a lot of that stuff. So when I came into it, I was like, oh, I better. Better figure out where where Red Robin fits, you know, exactly in this world and exactly who he is, and you know he's Tim Drake, and so so I had to do a little a little research actually to make sure that I was clear on that. But I I, I love the guy, you know I he's a goofball.
26: What is your take on the uh, character?
27: Uh, my take on the character comes a lot from from me, and I think maybe it's what they responded to when I auditioned, and then. You know, I helped craft it with uh, you know with the voice director and the, and the director and the you know, producer of the film. And, um, I think they wanted, in some ways, a, a slightly comic foil, you know, to Batman. But the great thing about this world, this Batman Unlimited world that, that they're creating, is that there's just more comedy in it. And it's it's not it's not comedy because they're not taking the you know, the world seriously or the character seriously. I mean, Heath, you know, Heath knows these characters and loves these characters and grew up on these characters, so he knows exactly what's going to be funny. I think to people who have loved these characters for so long. So while Red Robin is is kind of the comic foil, everybody gets to be the comic foil at one point. The villains, you know, get to say funny. Even Batman. I mean, don't tell anybody, but Bat- even Batman gets to say you know funny things here. He gets the joke. Um, and and I don't think it's. I don't think we've dropped to a level of oh well this is just for kids you know you know if you're if you've loved Batman for you know for a long time you're not going to dig this I think you might dig it even more because you know those characters so well and the, the jokes that come through are often you know aimed at people who've loved these characters so is um,
26: So any really like So you say there's not too much development from the
27: last movie. Um, not, I, I mean, not not over. I, no, I mean, there's not a, a huge amount of development for for Red Robin. I, I don't think, um, but I'm okay with that because I like to, you know, I liked where he was yeah. in, the, in the last movie too. So we'll see, you know, if we continue forward with this, and you know, hopefully if we keep going, uh, it'll be. I'll be curious to see exactly where it does go. What kind of notes do you get as a voice
3: actor? Do they tend to be more technical, or do they tend to be more emotional. Like you know, when you're auditioning for a part on. Camera. Those notes right. are very specific, but they don't involve your voice or too much or your intonation or your right, tone. So I'm kind of curious what kind of feedback you get when you're auditioning or you're doing the whole like you want this deeper, you want this right. faster, you want this. You know. Right.
27: Movie. I'd say it's a it's a mix. If if they don't, uh, but I'd say if if it, if it if it was weighted in any one direction, it would be technical, um, because because this art is very technical. Um, you're standing in front of a microphone and it does have to do with volume and speed and. You know, you want to make sure that people, you know, intelligibility. You know, you want people to know what you're saying, enunciation, and and things like that. And they've got uh, they've got a lot to consider where that's uh, coming from. But occasionally, because we don't often have a lot of time with the script in advance, we don't get all the context. And that's where you know the director, like Wes Wes, Wes Mason, who's the director on this, um, comes in handy because they know the script, they know where everything's, you know, all the other characters and what's going on. So if we're if we're not paying attention or you know, we haven't gotten we've got to read through the, the whole script before they hand it to us, we might say it one way and it doesn't really fit in the context. And that's where Wes steps in and says, actually this isn't a joke, he's very serious here. Or or it's written very flat and serious, but the comedy is because of this. Yeah. And we don't we don't always get that. Um, so so sometimes it's about those beats, you know, making sure it's the right tone. Yeah, usually it's a tonal thing, but but most of it I would say you know, hey, could you not say it a little more this time, or hey, could you get a little faster, because it's a long speech and we don't want to be, you know, dragging. you know, dragging the whole time, exactly. So, And then a lot of that stuff ends up getting changed once we get the animation back anyway and end up changing lines or cutting lines, we'll have to come back in and re-record certain things.
5: So you said that,
26: like, um, this is a, a you know, pre closer personality the yeah. other DC
27: characters before. Were there any other DC characters in the past that you played that were a huge challenge for you? Um, usually the challenge is, is, uh, is containing my, my nerdy glee and just being able to play any of these characters. Um, and and I guess that, so, the, so the challenge would be, wow, I grew up with these characters, I feel uh, a responsibility to get it right, um, and then it makes me nervous. And I have to remember that well, they cast you for a reason, you got to trust them, otherwise they would have just hired somebody else. And trust the director to, you know, push you in one direction or the other if, if you're not in the right place. I mean, I, I went in for my, when I did my audition for Legion of Superheroes, uh, because, because as an actor you can get in your head a lot. Because it's usually, you know, often it's just you in the booth and um, no, nothing, you know, there's no, you don't get any direct feedback. And I went in, I got called back for, for Superman and for Lightning Lab. And, and I went in and I did my, my Superman read And I was nervous as hell Because it was super right. fun um, And then they said uh, Okay, thank you very much yeah, Which is always like the worst You know, it's the worst thing you hear as, as an actor You're like, And there was a part And they're like, you know, it's, you can go now And in my head I was thinking I, I didn't even get to read Lightning Lab Like I just I just read Superman And oh, they must hate me I, I couldn't even... They wouldn't even, you know, let me go on to the next character. And I was, you know... I, and you try to shake it off because, you know, we do this every day. You know, we're auditioning for things every day. And if you hung on to every one, you know, you'd go crazy and you know, depressed and you'd leave the business. Um, especially one of these, you know... Because, because I love these characters, it's hard to, to not want to do it. And, and several weeks later, you know, after I had almost forgotten, I get a call saying, you got Superman. And, and I couldn't believe it, and then I, I ended up talking uh, to James Tucker, who was directing the, the show, it was his show, many, many years later, I think. And I said, yeah, audition, and I came in, and I told him basically the same story, and uh, he said, oh yeah, no, you, you read Superman, and when you read The Legion, Oath, we all looked at each other and said, that's our Superman and then we sent you on your way because we, we could have told you that right yeah, I know we'll but they didn't tell me that they just to me I was like they wouldn't even let me read for lightning lad they're like mm, we didn't want you as lightning you're Superman so so you gotta I mean as an actor you just gotta sort of trust that things are working out the way they're supposed to are it's
5: there
3: just
27: few, hard sometimes
3: things you do to stay calm because like when you said you get nervous like you yeah. get a shot of adrenaline easily like for an audition and that yeah. can also affect your voice, your voice oh absolutely voice. Yeah. are there things you do like meditate or like anything that I've
27: actually started meditating regularly like every day um, but in a situation like that I find that when I'm getting nervous it's because I, re- I realize I'm not breathing you know cause you, get, you get all tense yeah. and you're not breathing and, and that affects your voice and that affects you know your, you know just your muscles and uh, um, just you know tension in general. You know, it floods throughout your body so usually in those I'll, I'll, I'll just take a second and I'll just breathe I know it sounds simple but it's something we forget sometimes just because your your brain jacks you up, you know, when you're when you get nervous, like that's the first thing to to go. So breathing <laughs> usually, usually gets me out of it.
5: Yeah.
27: Breathing and trust. Trust isn't always easy. I try to trust that there's a reason that I'm in there, and that they'll make the right decision.
4: How much do you get to see Tim outside of the costume? Because the first film, we only really got to see Bruce and Ollie at their little shindig, but. Huh. Unless, I, stuck in there the unless
27: I'm unless I'm mistaken, we don't get to see him out of the costume at all. I know. I'm hoping if this if this keeps going, if this continues, and, and we sell a lot of toys, because let's be honest, that's what keeps the show on the air. Um, that uh, that we'll get to see Tim out of costume sometime. because he's he's fun, and He has he a lot of
26: fans. A lot of people find. There are some, and I'm
27: not sure if I'm supposed to talk about this, but I'll, I'll try to keep it as vague as possible in case I'm not. Um, we did a bunch of shorts. Um, either web shorts some Batman web shorts or I don't know exactly what they're going to do with the shorts Uh, but some of them are really fun and there's there's one with me and Nightwing that I cannot wait to see that is that I I just I just want to have a whole movie where it's just me and Will and you know goofing off the whole time yeah yeah Um, but I don't know I don't know what they're going to do with those like I said, I'm. I don't even know if I was, but it's too late now.
3: Yeah,
5: I'm writing it down. It's too <laughs> late. Yeah, too late. Too late. We're tweeting it already.
27: These aren't yeah. on, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the rehearsal. I've been fun. Um, I mean, Yeah. Our readers are in great right, spirits. So, like, what do you hope kids most enjoy about? About Batman Unlimited, I think just that it's it's a lot of fun. Like I said before, I think we have a tendency to uh, to go dark with heroes now and that the darker the better and there's a place for that but I think we also lose a lot of what the fun is and you know what we fell in love with about comics and superheroes in the first place and, and hopefully what I think they'll, they'll love about it is you don't have to have you know the, a huge knowledge of all the comics and all the characters and where they fit and who they are um, and you don't have to worry about it being just, just too dark and not fun. It's, it's full of fun, it's full of humor um, but also some really cool, you know, honest emotional moments, um, and they've and they've teamed up a lot of some of the, the best villains and, and the best heroes to, to do it. So it's it's a good place to to get into it, especially if you if you're not used to you know if you don't have the background.
4: And Roger Craig Smith, who plays Batman in the Batman Unlimited film. So what's up? So you've been playing the technically the leader of the Avengers, now you're playing the
25: leader of the DC Universe.
28: Uh, how, uh, well, some people would argue that yeah, might be Superman, yeah, right? Or, uh, like, the uh, the Batman DC. versus Superman. Yeah. You're starting an ugly argument here. That's
23: true. Well, he, as of late, it seems like he's been the leader of the There you universe. go. Okay, so he, he's we'll take a, that. He's got the first name in the title of the uh, next year's movie. So. True. That's so, true, that's true, that's true. We negotiated that. Mm-hmm. So uh, how does it feel, just like, you know, take on the leadership role,
5: kind of, on both
28: uh, ends? I, uh, like, I shouldn't be. Like, they're going to figure out I don't know what I'm doing, and they're going <laughs> to fire me one of these days. Like, finally, it's going to happen that way. Um, it's unreal. Um, you know, a question we get a lot is, like, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. What's your, what's your ideal role? Like, what, what role would you love to play? And I always just say, I've done it over and over and over again. Um, you know, I got into this industry to be a voice actor, to, to, to work. And it's it's fun getting to voice, you know, a McDonald's radio ad. Let alone getting to be these iconic characters. So um, it's just that that that's the part that I always kind of trip out on. Um, getting to be a part of both, you know, studios. And I, I get that it's like I'm an independent contractor of sorts. It's like you know I'm, I'm hired. I, I don't. I'm not a company man by any stroke. Um, but uh, getting to be that and getting to be this, uh, it's just surreal, you know. And then throw in. Ezio or Sonic or any other things, you just kinda of go, What? You know, like yeah. I don't like Alright, you know, like I guess so. It's like you don't want to think too much about it because then you're you're gonna be conscious of what you're doing and who you are and all that and it's like, now nah, you're a lucky dork who got landed a couple really lucky opportunities in life and uh, that's that's a huge, huge honor. So it's it's I keep using the word surreal and unreal, but that's the only thing I can come up with. I mean it's just surreal. It's like I got into this business just because my stand up comedy was doing poorly, and people were like, Hey, you just look at a voiceover. You know, you, you have MC events and things like that, and the next thing you know, it's like, Hey, you're gonna be Chris Redfield. I'm like, Cool. So, do people know about Resident Evil? And they're like, Yeah, it's got a huge fan base. And I'm like, Really? So, what's gonna happen? Like, Oh, it's gonna go crazy. And I'm like, Oh, 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 I was just happy to have a job. I just wanted to work, man. So, it's, a, it's been a, a crazy ride. There's not a day that goes by that I just don't go. Man, okay. Yeah. This is my life. How strange. Yeah. This is my job. You know, Will and I were literally talking about just what a what a, what an opportunity, how fortunate we are to be able to do something that like our job is what we love to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't like living in LA and I don't like dealing with all the stress and the traffic and the, all this. But it's funny like some of the, the biggest moments of when I'm at my happiest are when I'm in a voiceover booth with my friends. So, so which is Not a lot of people get get to say they they love going to work, but it's like literally, I hate getting there, traffic sucks, but uh, but getting to be a part of these things is uh, around some of the most creative and professional and talented people you could ever hope to meet, who are also, I think thankfully, because they're not in the on-camera world, some of the most down-to-earth folks that you could ever hope to meet, because they're just normal human beings who get to live a really fun life
3: worked with Troy in the past. Yes. Batman and Joker. Troy who? Oh, uh, <laughs> Troy Baker. Oh. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah.
28: guy. Interesting. Is an actor? <laughs> yes. Is any good, or... Um, Why? He's over
4: there. Well, how funny. Yeah, the jury's still out. Oh, the know, tall I'm guy, okay. Anyway.
28: Interesting, all right.
4: How is the experience... Is it... Does it feel different to go from what you did with Origins over to a lighter tone?
28: You know, it's... Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, um that's probably I would have wondered that it's more for him I wonder, I wonder like how he would have to modify Joker in terms of you know the Origins Joker is a pretty evil guy um, and Batman you know for Origins was a little bit darker obviously by comparison um, a little more unhinged um, and yeah I mean, I, in terms of like you know working with Troy on this the worst thing about what we get to do is that nine times out of ten if it comes to like a film or a video game rarely do you get a chance to record together because you're always in an isolated booth. Um, Troy does a lot of motion capture, full performance capture stuff. Um, I'm too short for it, is what I keep hearing. Um, So I'm usually just strictly VO or just maybe at best facial capture. and so there was only like maybe one or two sessions with Origins where we get to work together. And then we were, we were such goofballs, like in between takes, that I think they were like, yeah, let's not have them in the same room anymore, because it's just like we don't get anything done. Um, and for, uh, for this, I didn't get a chance to work with, uh, with Troy during the recording process uh, on, on, uh, on Monster Mayhem. But, um, but what's nice about this version of Batman is getting to introduce a, a, a family friendly uh, version of Batman to a younger generation. Um, which, you know, both Troy and I have remarked uh, that, that growing up, you know, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill were our Batman and Joker, um, you know, when we were in high school, in uh, junior high, and you know, it's like, as, as early as I can think back, anything animated that I've seen involved Kevin Conroy as the voice of Batman. Um, and to get a chance to kind of uh, be a part of that uh, is surreal, because what... What Unlimited to me represents is an opportunity for a younger audience to kind of go. That's the Batman that I watched. You know, I watched Batman on this. You know, this Unlimited thing went out about the toys and that kind of thing, and that introduced me to the world of Batman. And then they grow up and they watch the Christian Bale versions and the in uh, the Michael Keaton version, all that stuff. Uh, so to be a part of it is uh, is really cool. And the family friendly thing, I think, is uh, that's uh, that's an honor because it's like what Heath Corson has written uh, is is a is a Batman story that's arguably. If you're a fan of Batman, whatever your age, this will be familiar and you'll enjoy it. But it's not just for kids. You know, However, you can watch with children and not be afraid that you're going to see some stuff they might not want to have to talk about for days later in counseling or whatnot. No, no traumatic experiences. We got to go? One more? I,
26: I, yeah. I, okay, very quick question. Uh, there was a crossover where Captain America fought Batman. If they were to adapt, how would you differentiate the characters' voices?
28: Well, you know, what, it, I always uh, the, the answer to this because people are going to hear elements of, of, of me because I'm just a human being and everything that we do. Um,
5: that was awkward, splitting. Wasn't it? it was a little
28: awkward. They're going to hear they're going to hear elements of me and everything that we do. Um, Captain America to me is barrel chested, uh-huh. fists right. on right. hips.
15: Thank you, everybody.
28: Thank you. Batman DJ to is me inner is, inner is dark. A <laughs> he's in. He's inner. He's ch- he's not chest. He's quiet because he's, to me, he was traumatized by what happened to his parents as a little kid, and there is there isn't a lot of like bravado and happiness in his life, so it's all darkness, and so for me, Batman's quiet. When, I, when I'm at a convention, and people yeah, are like, hey, did you do the voice? I'm always like, you're never gonna hear it. And especially over the din, so it's always like, what? Batman, Batman. I, I, I can't do it, I have to have a big old microphone in front of me, that kind of thing. Whereas Captain America, he's a little more, he's a boy scout. Excellent. Yeah, hope that answers. Thank, Thank you guys. Thank you, sorry
5: for this community. Thank
4: you and my top moment for that, definitely another highlight uh, when I was interviewing Yuri Willenthal, which you heard me say that, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours from Ben Ten, and he was excited to hear that. Uh, at the end, uh, one of the reporters liked to snap just, you know, a regular shot of the actor. And then after she had done that, I said, can I just be a fangirl and get a picture with you? So uh, I got a picture with him and I just said that I was bummed when, when, Ben 10 went off, though. I didn't like the the reboot, but I really liked uh, Ultimate Alien and Alien Force and said that, you know, he's my Ben 10 and he gave me a hug. So that was certainly one of my top moments, one of my highlights, uh, one of my two, I'd say, from that particular con. Uh, After that, I just went to the Marvel Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends uh, panel to see what was going on with that, because obviously they talk about other things, so you want to see what pops up and uh... that was interesting just because there weren't a lot of creators of the titles they were talking about so they kept passing it to Sana Aminad, and she may not have been on or editing any of the books she was talking about so it was a bit of a struggle for her but it wasn't really her fault so that was a lack of preparation i would say for for marvel in that case and then we went to lunch with with some of our friends eddie d'angelini who does his own comic, and his wife, Kristen, and that is always fun. And then we went back to the convention floor because it shuts off pretty quickly. I think it's six that last day, and that's really where you want to make your final purchases, which is interesting because when you're on the floor, they will count down and say, Attention, Comic-Con attendees. The floor will be closing in 30 minutes. And then, you know, counts down from that. uh, Well, not annoyingly, 15 and then I think 5. And then says about finish your final purchases. Shopkeepers, use this time now to clean up your space. Things like that. So that was basically it. You know, Sunday, off the record, we just, we found out strange things about foot fetishes. Now, I shan't say how or to whom. These foot fetishes are related. I will, however, say that it's not me. But, you know, what strange things fetishes are. And, you know, just to laugh about it, um, Josh and I found some very strange fan fiction about it as well. And yes, that does, in fact, exist out there. So who knows if you will, in fact, be hearing a fan fiction about foot fetishes sometime in the future on a reading with Stella on Backroad the Oracle. Uh, hopefully finding a PG-13 one or, <laughs> or below, like PG or something like that. But that was basically San Diego Comic-Con 2015. There were some things I did not include. Like the thing I mentioned with Gotham, of course. And then there's some other stuff with me personally that... Uh, like, Actually, not personally, but like professionally happened that sort of were... Bewildering, but I don't. <laughs> I, I don't really want to talk about it here, since you know who knows who's listening. But you know, overall, I would have to say that this was a successful San Diego Comic Con. I had fun. You know, the enjoyment factor was up, which is always good. I got to do uh, great interviews. You know, great because of the people that I got to talk to. Not necessarily because I was outstanding or anything. Uh, just being able to see the back row creative team again was fun and exciting and you know just being able to hang out with uh with josh and don and then you know other people along the way is is always is always fun and life fulfilling i would say right when you get to see two of your your best friends every year so yeah i that that's about it again you know you've got some audio here hopefully you enjoyed those i would say for any uh other audio or or any other news that you're excited to hear about or know about you should go to the batman universe because dustin did a great job being at home base and and i know terry was also working there just um working on the news that was coming out of san diego which which certainly was a lot be sure to check that stuff out and go gotham chronicles um look for New articles to come up uh, in the next few days, or I guess if you're listening to this, you know, it just dropped. Then prior to this, about other things, and then probably Superman homepage, or at least uh, look up Michael Bailey to see some of those super cool things. Legends of Tomorrow. I'm actually not sure if there's any audio or where that would drop, but that should get you satisfied with all the interviews that we have. Yeah, apologies, apologies to not having a huge clip show as I and the Batman universe did. For last year, uh, I just I honestly actually do not have all the audio that is with somebody else. So I'll just stick with the audio that I have and that I'm personally connected to. Just go and support the other venues that the other audio pops up. It's funny because we sometimes do high and lows of of the the Comic Con. The low one is, is it's personal, personal slash professional for me. So I'll I'll keep that one to myself. But certainly the highs I I would definitely say would be. Becro creative team just you know shouting Stella when when I saw them and uh, the Yuri Lowenthal I think would be my two moments and it's hard to talk about goals for next year you know bigger and better is is something that I think a lot of people talk about and (laughs) certainly you do want to go bigger you do want to be better at what you're doing and and it's always good to evolve I think in in your profession what you're doing but you don't want to go too big but you know I do want the Batman universe, since that's the site that I'm representing, I do want the Batman universe to get to a place where we are recognized and that we aren't overlooked in, in any aspect. And when you come up to people and say the Batman universe are like, Yeah, I, I know what that is. I, I frequent that site. So I want that respectability to be there. And that's certainly why I behave in the manner that I do, you know, showing up early and good questions and, and try to have good relationships with uh, the people that i'm working with at the dc booth because you know you are representing that place um, because dustin's not there the batman universe is not there you are there representing it so you have to be on task and uh, respectable so so yeah i think that's my my goal for there for for next year you know if i go so we will see and i've got to sit down and brainstorm how to make that happen you know but hopefully you enjoy the show. I know it's just me rambling on for an hour plus. <laughs> so, so maybe it does turn into a longer show. So sorry. But at least, you know, it's just me talking for an hour and the clips are what adds more into it. So you will hear me again in August with a special guest. And I was, I was interrogated by Josh and Don as to who this was and they kept saying it was Shag. I promise you it is not Shag who is coming on in August but you will find out who this person is and he's got a lot to say. I I will uh, I'll at least clue you in there. So, you know, thanks again to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backworld Oracle. I actually have a story about <laughs> something that went on at, at Comic-Con but I don't know I'll probably talk about it next time next time I don't want this to go and spoil what it was because it's sort of a gift that I was trying to get but it involves Mile High Comics because they were at San Diego Comic-Con yes so thanks again to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl the Oracle remember you can follow the show on Twitter at Batgirl the Oracle you can follow and like the show on Facebook be sure to like the batman universe on facebook as well and also follow them at batman universe and that is it seems weird to not do reviews at all but until next time with my special guest that's got a lot to get off of his slash her chest i see i'm being ambiguous it's like oracle (laughs) until next time
5: Lo vola
4: Thought this was over but wait I forgot Monday but not really forgot just saving it for last. yeah Monday is probably if, if it's not Sunday because you're wondering where time went Monday is one of the saddest days because of course that's when you book your flight and little by little you see your or one by one you see your friends jet off into the sunset and I unfortunately had a red-eye flight that went off at 10:30 p.m pacific coast time and then got in 10 a.m eastern standard time and let's just say i was worn out and i slept 14 hours from tuesday to wednesday but don was the the first to go and then josh and i had some some fun times together but uh you know i annoyingly ask as the guys as we're hanging out for for that last time you know are you getting do you feel melancholy and we sort of uh, just—I think—we talk about anything but weaving, uh, so that's the only time that I actually ask, you know, how how are you feeling? But Don was the first to go, and then Josh and I had several hours, like eight, maybe six to eight hours, that we had to basically kill, and before we had to make our way to the airport. So we ended up going to a shopping center and looking around. Uh, we played the Lego Avengers, uh, the demo, the first little level, which was fun. And then we saw Minions, uh, which is nice because a couple years prior, we actually saw Despicable Me 2 together. So this was nice and then went shopping again and then we went to the airport and we actually had the same flight, which is why we were hanging out. We had the same flight from San Diego to Atlanta. And then he had a short layover, but I had about three hours for a layover. So I was actually the last one, which is not the first time two years ago i was the last one and saw everyone go the first year i left people i almost started crying so emotionally i've become stronger i think because it's been year upon year that i get to see these guys and we have a close connection but it is always sad to say goodbye now before i leave you I do want to explain some of the bizarre music choices that I used in this particular episode and in fact they are all with the exception of one inside jokes the first one you had the rain 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 comes down 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 and piglet and he's writing a note and that all started hard rock Bertoni out of nowhere writes help b- b- piglet me on a note leaves it there on the table and from then on there were so many piglet help b- b- piglet me that went on this trip notes were everywhere at one point when Donovan was sleeping taking a nap he uh, took his he took his phone and changed his profile picture to that screenshot just crazy stuff I slip one of the notes in Donovan's uh, press badge that, so that's where that came from. The next one was a song from Community that Donovan and Josh, well, Josh mostly, kept replaying over and over again, and I found it absolutely obnoxious and annoying, and enough said about that particular song. The next one was a wing song, and it was just a funny story that Josh told us that, oh, uh, when Linda McCarty was playing, at one point, you know, Paul would say, and now we're going to play... Wildlife, and nothing would happen because it starts off with keyboards, and then he would walk over, and and Linda would say, "I forgot, I forgot the chords." So uh, we just cracked up at that. And so I want to include that little bit. The Suicide Squad—that is the song played in the Suicide Squad trailer. It seems like now they're they're taking these songs that may have been well known and creepifying them because it happened in Avengers with "I've Got No Strings to Tie Me Down," and. I liked the way that this was uh, creepy and it sort of reminded me of the intro song I used on the previous episode with uh, Girl on the Dragon Tattoo, the immigrant song, so I just decided to use that, so not so much of an inside joke, but it did relate, and then the Digimon song, and that is related to the foot fetish that I told you about, because, in fact, we found some Digimon foot fetish fanfiction, and I kid you not, there's a website called animefeet.com that's all about foot fetish fanfic in the anime world, so there you go, and of course, that last song was from the Minions movie, Revolution, which is a cover based off of the revolution by the beatles so there you go you are now a part of the inside jokes because you know a little something something peace out